Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We think that don't mean anything, but thanks for listening. Hello, everybody, and welcome to We Say Things, episode 75. Suns fan here with Cinder and a very special guest, Mr. Kyle himself, also known as, although we'll talk about this, Swindle Melons. I was really sad when he went away from that name. How are you? Good, sir. How's life? Oh, a little lonely uh, in the time of coronavirus. I'm on a semi-quarantine because I need to travel in a week. Um, otherwise, things are okay. I'm a big fan of... Uh, place that i moved into oh, i signed up for another eight months in kiev um yeah it looks good behind you is it like an apartment mm-hmm. or something or yeah it is i'll send you a photo so that you can put it into the youtube video later of what i look at i'm not post-editing absolutely that's too much work uh, okay <laughs> sender and how are you doing i'm good too yeah uh my my room is amazing too it's very green <laughs> Yeah, I was going to uh, ask you about that, man. I've been very selective file. about yeah. my room. Oh, that, see, this uh, is yeah. perfect. Might that's stay here for another eight months. That's what I see from the like big ass couch living room area. That's great. Which is very that's nice for peace of mind. Is cost of living as low as I remember people telling me it was last time I was there? Yeah. Good. It's the second cheapest capital city in Europe behind Sarajevo. Set really. However. I will say that whenever people hear that, they make a because I'm very I'm very protective of this city. I think Kiev is a is a beautiful city, and it's ultimately going to be one of the esports hubs, if not the esport hub in Europe, for the for the future. Um, and while it's cheaper, I think that the quality of food and life is equal to pretty much anywhere else you'd go. Um, I've had better experiences with healthcare here than I have in the states. Well, that's um, not saying much. Is that surprising? <laughs> no, but I'm just throwing it out there. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, great. Well, we got off to a good start. Uh, so this is going to be the awkward point that we go over our patron. We thank our patrons, and our special guest just sits there and Not that reacts. that's awkward. It's just awkward because Kyle is watching. Yes, it's awkward because Kyle's here. Which I love, uh, I love that. But I actually love that. Can we so make like, you have longer? Do you have... <laughs> I ask you that all the right? time, Sand, and you're always just like, "I'm doing. I'm going as long as I can." We could, Kyle. Come on, we could Ultimately, do this. I'm disappointed. We could do do it twice over for Kyle. I mean, if if he wants to, you know, I should have sent the list, list to him. all he of them, and us. then we could see how many he remembers. You can still do it twice, because <laughs> not since we're, I was we're like twenty. Quite man. Old. Jesus, yeah, we're getting quite old. Like, uh, Sandra, I'm just have, happy everything works. Do you have the list handy I by do. chance? Okay, excellent. I'll take the. You know what? You take the first half. Yeah, now you want to avoid the I first one again, huh? Yes. All right. So our inbruched here patrons are an anemone in anonymity is an enemy and an anomaly. Fab Daddy, the Mega Pope, Suns fan simps, dummy thick horses, Pipea card, <laughs> Philip Rivers tenth kid, Ti in New Zealand. <laughs> I'm, I'm Rios, baby. 
<laughs> is that is that Sorry, the, that's an NFL Chargers player, fan. right? Yeah, it is. Okay. He got yeah, nine in kids. New Zealand. Zan Xavier, Kyle, you're not doing this right. We shout them out. You don't interrupt <laughs> us. It's really bad. Bad for business. Sunspan Pudge Omega Low. <laughs> Nate Thicko Zero One Ham Scrotes. Bacon, no, not that bacon, the other bacon. Jimmy Butler investing his time to master the art of redirecting blood flow to his right ball sack. Lick, Shark TM, Hoey988, and freshly seasoned goat balls. Before we go on, Kyle, what is that reference to Jimmy Butler? I actually don't know. Jimmy Butler's a fucking beast, that's what. There's a whole backstory here because he ended up getting axed off the Sixers and people thought he was a toxic teammate, when in reality the Sixers were just a bunch of lazy motherfuckers. And there's a great story about how at practice, Jimmy Butler effectively took on the starting five of the Sixers with no, no, like it, the it was... bench and reserve squad and beat their ass in practice while talking trash. That was so the then all Billy was like, this guy's a piece of shit. Then he went to the Heat, a team that actually worked works hard and made it to the finals took two games off the brunt which is insane um did that with fucking duncan robinson starting at shooting guard. Dude, that guy's a what? beast that guy's a beast true but what i mean lebron james and Anthony i don't james like where this is going jimmy butler's right ball sack and an undrafted like 20 year old <laughs> like yay high like jesus christ so not to correct Sorry. you but that hap the practice thing happened at the Wolves, and that's why he was traded from the Wolves to the Sixers. And the Sixers ah. never re-signed him because they ended up going with what's his face. Yeah, for I agree a million with Sunset there, Kyle. That was a can't anyway, you didn't know that. Anyway, forty-eight <laughs> minutes in game five. Forty-seven minutes, thirteen seconds. In and a was, game five elimination. I believe he was thirtieth pick, so end of the first round when he was drafted. So a really That's Harrow, not Robinson. No, no, no. Uh Butler. JB. All right, what yeah, Hero is the next Devin Booker, and Cinder knows all about Devin Booker. Uh, yeah, but I do. We'll, we'll get into that another Good time. Good old anyway, DB. To finish the list so we can actually begin the podcast, thank you to Change Will Happen, Comrade Dmitry Valdisov, the Ben Jackson and Ben Broomhead Alliance, Novi Panda, my boy, Dop, my boy as well. Sex is cool, but have you tried... Which was translated to garlic bread, apparently. Uh, Fane, oh, nice. underscore man, Ben Broomhead's getting tired of all this Ben versus Ben violence and thinks the Ben should band together to lead the patrons united. Pitch Black, wooden aftertaste, Dun Talk, dyslexic lawyer, anonymous, and Ronnie Keel. Thank you so very much, friends. We appreciate it. Okay. So with that out of the way, uh, what we do for every guest to kind of break the ice, as it were, Kyle, even though that kind of just happened, uh, I'm going to give you a quick rapid-fire initiation. I'm going to name two things, and you have to quickly tell me which one, okay, that you feel strongly towards. Please get all of them wrong. All right. Up or down? Up. Niche or niche? Niche. MOBA or ARTS? What's an ARTS? I'll go with MOBA. <laughs> Dota 2 in its prime or Han in its prime? Is this about the community or my own experiences? You're not allowed to ask questions. You're, answer. You're, it's a rapid it's, fire. You can't ask fire. questions back. That's true. That's I don't know. That's you have to answer. There's always Nobody said choice. that. Didn't you watch Star Trek? Captain Kirk. There's always there's always another way. Oh, God. Uh, or Dota 2, the answer is Captain Kirk. Okay. <laughs> Cake or pie, sir? Pie. Okay. Thank you very much for answering most of those rapid-fire questions. Uh, with that, let's get started with the actual podcast. Uh, how so well those did haven't... you do, Shannon? 
Uh, he got every single one wrong. I didn't oh, want to tell him. I didn't right. want to break his spirits. But that's what's the know. most important one? Is that the last one? Uh, of course, cake or pie. It's always cake for me. I mean, yeah, okay. It's I. I like pie. I just hate the crust with a passion. That's the main issue with pie. There's no part of a cake that I don't like. You know. You so. just need better crust. If you do you the crust right, the it should crust. be kind of thin and flaky. And in theory, it's also some of the most flavorful parts so that you like kind of break up the crust and eat it with the slice of pie, specifically when it's pumpkin. See, I was actually thinking of pumpkin pie about the crust that I hate the most, actually. But having said that, I've never had a real home-cooked pumpkin pie before. It's always been like store-bought garbage. So. You got to make it from scratch, baby. True. Change true. your life. Okay, so for those that have not uh, experienced a guest on the show before, because it's been a really long time, typically we'll talk about the guest's life in some manner, kind of go through you know, A to Z, and then we'll start talking about topics relating to either them or Dota or whatever we come up with. So, Kyle, for those that don't know you, sum up yourself as best as you can. Uh, how long? In a non-arrogant... Like, consider this <laughs> almost a... Ra- just give us like a TLDR... A few sentences. TLDR. Yeah. Okay. Um, oh, fuck. Um, well, I am Kyle Alexander Friedman. I'm 28 years old. Uh, I was born in New York. Uh, my family moved around a lot when I was young. Um, the only reason I exist is because my parents uh, neglected to use a condom. So they then had me. They then had four more, all boys. I'm the oldest of five brothers. Um, I got my start playing video games like online StarCraft and WarCraft. I was bullied mercilessly in high school. Um, For what? When I was 18. Hmm? For what? I've talked about being bullied. I'm just interested. I was bullied a lot as well. Quick. Uh, It's it's a difference. We'll get into it later because it ties into (laughs) like why I'm not swindle moms anymore to an extent. Um, Anyway, I... um, I took a gap year after high school to pursue a career in Heroes of Newarth. Um I made it to a land in Singapore. I took a year off. Eventually, I actually started doing door-to-door sales. I then moved my mom from Maryland, or sorry, from Jersey to Maryland, and then had four of my friends move in. We took over the mortgage, but then we like just didn't because long story, house was going into foreclosure. So slowly, I was doing door-to-door sales. Then I was working at a restaurant. And then I was like, ah, I should I should probably do this video game thing because life is really miserable. Um, like for pretty much everybody, um, and esports is really cool. So I did that. Um, at a point, I moved in with my dad and my brother in a bunk bed, and we were like going hard at Han. Uh, eventually succeeded. We kind of bet on ourselves to succeed. Um, in a lot of ways, I credit why I'm still here to my dad because he actually paid our security deposit and first month's rent at the apartment we moved into. Um, and we had to finish top three in Han tour just to like make rent. Thankfully, we won most of them, so we actually had money for food, too. Um, at a point, we had our first like team house. We brought in uh, Slicks from Australia, Keizu from Germany, and Chessie from Sweden. We moved into these two apartments in Miami on South Beach, and we had one that was like gaming room, and Chessie and Keizu lived in, and one that me, Slicks, and Zach lived in. And we were like kind of this urban legend on our floor because there would just be these like nerdy dudes in bathrobes and slippers like walking through the hallway because one apartment was like here and the other was like five doors down. So we ate in one and played in the other. Um, I we uh, I'd wanted to be the best Han player of all time. Technically, you could say we did that. There's an asterisk, of course, because like a lot of players had quit, but we still beat a lot of guys that you would know now from Dota in Han. Uh, I thought about quitting esports. I started applying for jobs after we won our fifth land, which made us the winningest team. 
uh, realized that life still kind of sucked if you weren't in esports, um, like a lot, especially as somebody who dropped out of college after one semester. Um, do you guys, is this too long? Because I got some more details I can throw in. I mean, keep by all means, or... keep going. Yeah, it's great. Um, Life-changing moment was I walked into a, I, I really liked people. And I had been really good at sales. I was like, you know what? I'm going to try bartending. You know, I'm sick of this esports stuff. I was playing, like, you know how it is, Sin. Like, you just play games all fucking day yep. and for years. And it's just like, man, I want to do something else. So I went to apply for a job at Buffalo Wild Wings as a bartender. Oh, yeah. Hear me out. And I realized, um, I, I still remember, like, everything. Like, which table was at. I was talking to this, uh, Melissa, who was the general manager. And I realized that, like, I was sort of... Because I had done door-to-door sales for, like, a year. I was really good at it. And I can see this this woman just very casually, like, working down my expectations to, like, yeah, you know? Because started as, like, a, a food runner in, like, six months. You know, we like to do our stuff in-house and, like, rise in the ranks. And I was like, Jesus, wow. And she's like, yeah, follow up with me on Thursday, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just thinking... I went back home super demoralized because I was like, Jesus, I am, like, I am a badass. I am the winningest motherfucker in Han history. I grinded, you know? I, I, like, beat people also trying really fucking hard. And I'm not saying that makes me a superstar, but I'm like, Jesus, I'm, I, I should at least get a job food running, like, without having to call back for a second interview. And I'm like, well, wow. And I'm watching PPD play uh, at TI4. I'm like, well, if I don't go play Dota, I'm a total moron. So that's what I started to do. Um... TI5, uh, the goal is just to qualify. Uh, we had 43 different players participate in our team from October through March. The entire time, I was just spamming uh, Tal or Fly, like, play with us. Because I had me, I had Zach, I had Ziz, and then we had Moon. And we needed that fifth player, and it really had to be Fly. Or maybe we got Fly, then we got Moon. I don't even remember. But we made it to TI5. That shit was insane. Um, blah, 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 more stuff wild card losing uh to dc we really got screwed not screwed but we just got we were like this close so many times in the career right if you remember ti6 qualifiers we we beat eg and dc then lost to eg in the tiebreaker that would have won group and taken us to ti then we played dc in the grand final of the qualifier limp had issues with his passport. It got lost in the mail. Germany lost his passport in the mail. Our German manager was like, that's literally never happens. I don't understand. So he's playing from Sweden. The matches went till 3 a.m. local time. So it's like 10 a.m. for Limp. He's been playing all night into the morning. And uh, we lose the game five to just a choke, a throw, whatever you want to call it. 3-2. It's like a 70-minute game. We then go on to lose the wild card. DC plays EG for the for the finals berth at TI6. So we we were this close to beating and qualifying over the team that finished second and third at TI. I'm not saying we could have done as well, but like you get my point that we're like like right I, fucking there. I actually remember that game because uh yeah, when all five games it was fucking insane. It was insane. We, it was such I an thought we had literally lost like eight, nine different times, honestly. It went back and forth. People were throwing everybody was so nervous, you could tell from both sides. I mean, did you feel the same? In that um, series, I could feel it. I was not really nervous, um, and I don't really want to get into it. But the, there were just some who's really to blame, poor Kyle? Decisions made. <laughs> <laughs> Who fucked uh, up, dude? And I'm why like, was it you? <laughs> ultimately, it is me, though, because when you're the captain of the team, if your team makes poor decisions, like that's on you. Um, and that's kind is of the that downside of being a leader. Yeah, it is. I mean, that's how it works. Like, that's that's uh, ownership. Everything is your fault. 
as ultimately, the captain. Uh, uh, you, you share the blame, at the very least, sure. I would argue. That's fair. And I, I think that that's how you have to approach things, and that's sort of the unfortunate side effect of wanting... Like, if you're going to be a leader and a captain, I think that that's sort of just something you have to accept. Um, mm -hmm. You need to take responsibility for things that are not your fault, and you're going to need to take less than your share of the credit, because ultimately you're the one who's concerned with the greater good of, we need to win this game, this series, this tournament. Mm -hmm. So... You, you got to sacrifice. If the you thing I that. remember specifically from that game was it was so back and forth. And then there was a point towards the end where we we're like, all right, we actually won. Right. And then we yeah, fucking dove fountain and died. And I literally for just a <laughs> fraction there, misery got so mad. I thought he was going to literally murder Weeha. He was so fucking furious. Pause the game. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, it was bad. And then within like a couple minutes, we just ended up winning. I forget the details, but. Yeah, that uh, I can tell closer. you. We um, <laughs> please do. We we pushed tier three uh, top. I think we were going for megas. I believe Limp had no Aegis, but he had buyback. He ended up just kind of dying because we were out of position. Then we're retreating after he buys back TP's in. Chessy panics. There's creeps in our base. Ultimately, we need to just win the game because I believe it was still five on four, and we had our tiny without buyback. Chessy has now TP'd the base. As you guys then say, "Hey, invokers in base, pursue the tiny." Ultimately, end up killing him. He has no buyback, and that ends the game. Um, ultimately, we could have done, we could have won by choosing one idea, and instead we got caught between two, which is just the nightmare of pretty much every captain. And one of my strongest philosophies within Dota, which is why ultimately teams that kick their captains oftentimes start losing, because it's better to have one shitty idea than three really good ideas in a game of Dota 2. You need to be executing. An initiation, if everyone is bought in and jumps same time, same strategy in sync, you might win that fight, even if it's 20% odds. If you half-assed yep. it or somebody doesn't believe, he's like, oh, we should have backed. I love that what about hindsight bullshit. Thank God I'm not a pro player anymore because it's like, <laughs> well, motherfucker, you didn't listen to my call. So it's not okay to say, oh, I didn't like that call. Motherfucker, you weren't there. You didn't take the fight. So we don't know if it would have worked. So this is actually really interesting. I've talked about, we've talked about this before as well, but you both being captains and probably are polar opposite in approach to how you would react to that thing. Because you would be obviously a very vocal person. Cinder and I, again, I've known you for a while, Cinder. You can correct me where I'm wrong, but people will probably I mean, overstep you at times. At least they have in the past, right? The, yeah, the thing is what Kyle is saying is true, though. So we pretty much agree entirely on the concept. I just think my wording would be different. I think Kyle's wording might be different, too, in actuality. But it, Yeah, I'm saying yeah. this to you guys, not what I yeah. would say in-game. Yeah, right. But... But yeah, it's that's how it is. And I've I've talked about this before too. It's better to do something wrong together than do two different things because then you didn't really learn anything. If yep. like in a game where five people play together in some sort of complex manner, then if you execute two different ideas at the same time, you could win the fight and it could still have been a bad play. But because the alternative was to do it the same way and then it would have been even better. So it's really diff it's dangerous and something a lot of teams fall prey to is uh, being too results oriented, right? Instead yep. of looking at the process of what you did, like it's way easier to determine whether a play was good if everybody consciously went in and did the same thing, or whether a strategy was good instead of just randomly, you know, shooting, just spraying, and then and something lands. You know, it it is uh, another. It's why I stress items so much as well, because items and the decisions you make regarding them just sort of reveal the timing you think your your game should be won at. 
And a big yep. gripe I had with a lot of teams I had in the past is like not recognizing when they're strong. So you can either optimize for scaling or like, as an example, I'm playing Viper, right? Uh, my Viper, I see him go hood into Halberd. Well, you better be like walking down lanes the entire game. If I see you farming our jungle, I assume you don't know what your hero is supposed to do because mm -hmm. you like it, it, it's like not necessarily bad. Like this is what's so interesting is the items aren't bad or good until the actions the team makes around them are revealed. So if my Viper has Halberd Hood and just starts pushing down lanes and we sort of play around his area of the map. That's going to be very beneficial for us. If he's farming in our own jungle, I'll be like, well, where's where's the acceleration? Like, what's the point here? And core players, oftentimes you see this a lot in pubs and a lot of popular streamers, they get next item syndrome. It's like, oh, I've got my orchid. Now I need my BKB. I've got uh, now I need the armor item. And it's like mm -hmm. we have this timing to win. And that's what makes players like Nisha so goddamn good. Um, and really just the top players so good is because they understand what they have to do to win the game. They get the item. Seb is probably the, the best example of this. Like, I know what item to get. I know my role. I'll go die top to this Timbersaw as LC going 0-4-2 because I can just keep this tower alive for an extra three minutes. And that time is worth more to my allies than this Timber. Yeah, that's, no, that's yeah. fascinating. I, wait, sorry. Did you want to continue your TLDR before we go on? <laughs> my life story? <laughs> I mean, it got interesting. So it got interesting. So I got um, I got kicked from complexity. Obviously, um, that's a whole like other thing. I don't really want to get into that. At some point, maybe I will. But I got kicked from complexity. Did a lot of like life searching. Um, in a really strange twist of fate, I had already secured my first talent gig before getting kicked. Um, because we had already needed to take like a two week break and DAC fell over those dates. So I cleared it with management. I cleared it with the team and I had gone to uh, Silvio and asked if like it was possible. And he was like, yeah, sure. So I get kicked, um, like completely by surprise. And I'm like, well, I guess I'll just go and see how this goes. Uh, DAC went pretty well. It's also, I believe the tournament, I got the voice line, um, which was cool. And really just some epic games in general. Mineski won that major 3-2 over, I believe, LGD. They just picked Gyro Death Prophet, like, first to every game, and it just worked. It was hilarious. Um, and then I go to TI, and uh, I was really torn between playing or casting. And I'm a big... I'm not, like, necessarily a believer in fate, but I think that sometimes you got to just sort of listen to... Uh, it's tough to make decisions nowadays because opportunity cost is so high, especially in esports. So like you could do this or this or this or this or this, and there's just not enough time. But I was on the bus to the after party after TI8, and I was torn between a couple of team offers, a couple of ideas I wanted to put out, or just continuing to cast. And I got compliments from from the two people. The only two I received from professionals were the two people I considered like the best at their craft. One was Machine, who was just like, yo, man, you're a natural. You should keep doing this. And then Slacks, who who said I, I saved him because he was part of the he, – he produced the Late Show. And it was the only – one of the only times I've seen that man stressed because he was actually not on the show. If you remember, TI8 was the first time they did that, like, live. There was a theater, and he was just in the truck, like, working production with – no clue, like, what the hell. They had not enough time to prepare, super nervous, all live crowd, and, you know, the Dota community is full of degenerates, so they were worried, you know, someone's going to, like, throw stuff on the stage, who knows? And it all went really well. And then we went and had a, a really nice time at the party. Um, How stressed was he there versus Midas mode, which is a 10 on my scale for slack stress? Ooh, I think he was more than Midas mode, actually. Really? Wow, that is... I thought he was going to have a nervous breakdown. Wait, were you at Midas mode, Kyle? I was at the second one. 
Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, anyway, I was like, well, I guess I should keep doing this, and ultimately, it's something I enjoy a lot more. But I sort of bought into, uh, so I ditched all my stuff at my parents' house, pretty much. It's still there, <laughs> all my books and all my clothes. And uh, I was just like, you know what? I'm gonna try like just traveling the world, being homeless, because. The issue, and you know this well, Sand, is that if you're a player, you don't really actually see the cities you visit. You just see nope. different hotels because yep. you're just practicing. And if you lose, you just feel bad. So it's like, yeah, I have free time, but now I feel bad. And uh, like Sumail made fun of me. I think it was at the uh, CQ Major. He was like, yeah, of course you're a talent, Kyle. This is your favorite part because you're just like drinking in the bar bullshitting. He's like, this is all you did at every land anyway. So why play? Um, and then you were anyway. like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so I started bumming around the world. Uh, I stayed at a bunch of different friends' houses. Uh, I had like little hubs in places I'd go. So like Owen and Sheaves let me crash on their couch for a while. Fogged and uh, Daniela in New York. Uh, there's uh, Pinda and uh, in, in KL. Then there was uh, a friend in London. There was a couple friends in Taiwan. And then if I wanted to go home, I could just stay like with my parents if needed. And I just bummed around the world and an event would fly me in and I'd say, hey, fly me there after. And I would grab an Airbnb or something. And uh, that's what my life was un until coronavirus. And now I'm in Kiev. That happened yeah, for the last you seven You can't months. do that. Well, you technically could maybe to some extent, but it would be really difficult. We'll, we'll get into some of that in a bit. Uh, okay, that well, was an amazing... I'm actually, just go be ahead. before that, I'm just curious. Um... If there were more events, like now that you've been settled down in Kiev for how long is it by now? You've been there? Uh, it's been about eight months since February. Okay. Do you I can get into that, that decision over, actually? Do you prefer that over traveling to way more places and just switching locations seemingly every month or every mm -hmm. second month? Do you like? What do I you don't like? have a fast answer for that. Okay. But uh, there's a really good letter. Uh, it's something called the Curse of the Traveler. And it's actually a letter that Thomas Jefferson wrote to his cousin. That's where I believe it was first penned um, about this concept that, you know, the more places you see and the more people you meet, the more difficult it's ever going to be for you to find home because no place you, you sort of expand your, your experiences. Right. And you realize mm -hmm. more and more things you appreciate about the world. And the odds that one place has that are just lower and lower the more you become a, a aware of. So your Shangri-La becomes less and less likely for you to ever find. And his his um, argument to his cousin was like, you know, it, there is something to be said for putting down roots. Um, might have been Franklin, not Jefferson. I could be wrong. I should know that. Um, Some old white dude. Yeah, so, so it's tough. It's really <laughs> tough to say. Um, okay. Because... There is like a really nice thing that I can go uh, like there's a bar here that I can go to when I was in Taiwan for a couple of months like I was a regular at a bar and I had a couple of really good friends and on Friday night there was going to be something to do and it's sort of the same in Kiev and that's really nice and I think that while part of me really enjoys like flitting around the world there's another part that's like you know it would be it would be really nice to just like live somewhere nice with the view and get coffee with the same person every morning, have that be your routine, maybe get a pet, you know, stuff like that seems like it'd be fun. The trouble is, again, you can only have the one, right? So hard to say. Okay. That was, uh, that was the intro. <laughs> so what I want to do is, uh, well, it did cover some things that the no, intro it, it, was maybe yeah, not it, supposed to. So it, it covered a lot of the stuff. Job, I do Kyle. I do want to go back and go over a little bit of details on first here's a new earth and then we can get into the Dota 2 uh, career. Uh, for Haunt, how did you get into Heroes of New Earth? Like were you a big gamer before that? Did it just capture you all of a sudden? How was that uh, transition? 
a friend, I was playing Left 4 Dead 2, or Left 4 Dead professionally at the time, which wasn't really saying anything. There was like $100 community tournaments. And one of my teammates, uh, like, I was pretty good at Left 4 Dead, and I was also our shot caller. I and uh, he, I didn't he know that said, was even a competitive uh, game. That's that's news to me. It was a, wow. it was awesome, dude. I mean, it was uh, it's still one of my favorite games to play. I wish it was updated a little more because playing in houses in Left 4 Dead is a ton of fun. Um, and uh, a teammate basically said that he would buy me the game because it was twenty bucks if I'd play on his team for like three months. So I was like, sure. And I played Han, and I got pretty okay at it. I was like the guy that hosted in houses. That was how I I eventually just made it to like the top tier in houses, and I just started hosting them, which was probably my second favorite time in gaming. The best being uh, World of Warcraft seasons two through four, uh, in TBC because that was like all this childhood lore. I'm like killing these bosses like Illidan, and it's amazing. And and then I'm like doing arena uh, and pushing for rank one. Uh, that was really cool. And I think there's just um. The sense of like casual community has kind of been lost to time uh, over the last decade. Whereas like in WoW days, like you would just hop onto the guild Ventrilo, and there would just be people hanging out, and you'd go to a dungeon, you'd go to a raid. Like you knew the people on your server, so it was this kind of homegrown community. Like you, you were very much like a virtual person thrown into open world, and and it was just a lot of fun. And that's just not really the case in any of these games anymore. Uh, maybe I just don't have as much time. Uh, that's probably the case. Um, what was the question? <laughs> well, how did I get into Han? You, so I started playing Han. Han. Yeah, the yeah. end. Yeah, yeah. And then how did you get competitive? You started doing in houses, and you just started getting better yeah. at the game and connecting with people that were on the same skill level, I assume. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest. I was like good, but not great for a really long time. Uh, I actually, I think the break helped me a lot. I, we made it to. Did I even make it to Lance? Yeah, I did. Okay, we made it to, like, a couple lands a year. We just didn't win any. But, like, that was my start in eSport, you know? My first event was uh, Digital Youth Awards 2010, uh, where we beat uh, DRD in the finals, which was so cathartic for me. That was amazing. Oh, that was good. And uh, we go to Singapore. It was, had a great time. Um, and I'm like, yeah, this is what I want to do. Uh, and two years in or so, um, I started doing door-to-door sales for Verizon Fios because uh, it seemed like a pretty easy gig to me at the time, because internet in that area was really garbage. So you have, like, Comcast, who was... I mean, realistically, and this is why I eventually quit, is, like, you think you're fighting for good, and you're like, yeah, Fios is better internet. It's cheaper. It's a win. And then you realize, wait, they're nickel and diming their clients, too. They only offer better service because it gives them a competitive advantage. And in all the places where they roll it out, a month or two later, Comcast follows. This is all a con. I'm part of the evil empire. And once that happened, I realized, you know, you can't, um, I don't think you can actually be good at sales if you don't believe in the product that you're selling. Because you're effectively, that makes you a con man. If you know that you're like, you're selling this and you pretend it's this, you're just a liar. Um, and I think that good well, you sales... You can still be good at that if you can accept again, that. If only I it. didn't have If empathy, you can live with that, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I can't, so I ended up quitting, and I was kind of the emotional heart of that office. And I'm not necessarily proud of this, but I was top or second in the office with one of my good friends um, the seven months I was there. I was top 25 out of 3,000 nationwide. I think four out of the seven months I worked it, I was 18, I FYI. Can, I can see that. 
two months after I quit, the office shuttered because literally everyone else quit because our boss was the sort of person. This is in a way like what inspired me to just be better because um, there's a really good graphic of like the difference between a leader and a boss. A leader is out in front of the sled like pointing forwards while pulling and a boss is in the sled pointing forwards. And that was my boss because, you know, we'd have a quota where we'd get like a, an award or a bonus if the office, say, made like 11 um, sales over the weekend and I'd go out on Saturday and work for eight hours and get three and he would uh, go pull one go home at 1 p.m. smoke weed eat pizza and play uh, play Madden and that just doesn't really inspire yeah, really like, I want to be like my boss so, so no. here, here's a quick little question because I, I talk about this from time to time as well as when I had normal jobs back in the day that I absolutely hate I feel like I could not be doing what I'm doing now if I didn't have that perspective of how shitty. Oh, for like, sure. I look back all 100%. the time like there's no way I'm letting that ever happen again. Is that the same for you? Oh, yeah. I I can't. I, I 100% think that the hardest things I'll ever have to do in my life are behind me. Um, Like while doing that job, I was living in a house with like four other with four roommates. Um, And then like one of them had a had a had moved out. My cousin had moved out because he wanted to be close to his girlfriend. And the county's, like, largest drug dealer moved in. So all of a sudden, our house became, like, the trap house. So mm. I'm working. I left. Um, I was driving my grandmother's Subaru, the same car that I was driven home from the hospital in, okay, uh, when I was born. I'm driving to work 20, 30 minutes with three of my colleagues in the back because I would go to Trenton to pick up who's still one of the sweetest women I've ever met, Star Starkia, um, who was a single mom living with her, her one son that she would, like, get a babysitter. I would come pick her up, and we would then all go to work. So it was like a 30 or 40-minute commute. I'd get to the office. You do this bullshit pep talk, and then I would drive the same people out to the field, which could be 40, 45 minutes away, uh, sometimes up to an hour. We would then go around knocking on doors, talking to strangers, trying to get them to switch their internet. All commission. I don't make a cent um, if I don't make money. Like it, it, it's it's called rolling. Was that they said it when you just roll to zero, and that was in a way like what helped me kind of develop this because like, you have to maintain a positive frame of mind even when you get zero dollars because like when you go to the next door maybe that's your guy that's like um there's this one dude in cherry hill i'll never forget he um he was like massive sports fan he had like direct tv he had comcast he was paying like six hundred dollars a month okay and i'm like oh thank god yes because i can save this man like three hundred dollars He's very, he's very specific. He knows exactly what he wants. We go through the whole thing. He gets his wife. She has more questions. They eventually sign up. He's like, all right, chill. Um, you want some uh, chitlins? He was making a, like pork. I don't remember what the hell it is. But anyway, he called up his whole block. And they all came to his house as he continues to make food. And I don't just sign him up. I sign up his four neighbors as well. So I walk out. I make like $500, and I'm getting fed. Also, ironically, Verizon has rules like you're not supposed to go into anyone's house because you don't actually represent the company. You're representing like their outsourced sales company. But that's one of those things you just – everyone does. But it you know that they don't have your ass if anything actually goes wrong. Anyway, I would drive these people to the field. I'll never forget one day in Wall, it was uh, 14 degrees out and negative three with wind chill. And you've got these four, like, teenage young adults just schlepping through the neighborhood in the dark, like, freezing. And, like, w people would answer. And, like, um, I was – I'm not going to lie. Like, as an 18-year-old kid, I'm, I'm not really cute now. I wasn't really then. But in a sweater vest with, like, a tie, like, walking around, like, young as fuck, 
I'd knock the big, what the hell are you doing outside? Like, just, they would just, like, give me cocoa and stuff, and eventually I'd try to sell them internet. But anyway, <laughs> then I would drive I home. picture this, like, help me. By the yeah. way. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I would drive everybody back to the office. We'd turn in our stuff. We'd drive everybody home. So I leave my house at, like, 10 a.m. I'm not home until 10 p.m. I have lunch, and we would get go to Munchies on the way back, which had a $4 foot-long sandwich, which was dinner pretty much every day for me. And I'd get home, and there'd just be random-ass fucking people in my house, dirty dishes. I'll never forget Sean fucking Fallon. So we rotated chores. We rotated chores. This was one of my oldest friends. He lived in our basement uh, for eight years. <laughs> Before all of this, during high school, I lived in the same house with my four younger brothers, my grandmother, my mother, our yellow Labrador, Mackenzie, and then Sean and my friend and his mother, Shannon, in our basement. And then at a point, because I had a job that had switched offices, we had my colleagues, Ephraim, who I'm still close friends with. He was actually at DC Captain's Draft, by the way. I don't know if you remember that, but he was one of the friends that came. And then Malik, who who gave an own bedroom to. This man will always be an inspiration to me. Um, He was a uh, he was the son of two Pakistani immigrants that he was taking care of through this job. He had a wife and a young son, and he was willing to live at, my, at our house for five days because it allowed him to be more efficient at work so he could make more money to provide for his family. Like, he had what – um, like, oh, my God. He, he had two things I'll never forget that he gave me. One is never be afraid to bet on yourself, and the other is, um, like, whatever happens, just make it happen. Um, and I think that if those those are really, really cool thoughts to have. And he embodied them. He was one of the sweetest guys. Anyway, so my home life was a little wild. And then when the whole sales thing started, I basically had moved my mom out. So now it was just all these young people. My colleagues had moved out. But I would get home like 11. There'd be like random fucking people. And uh, anyway, Sean Fallon, this motherfucker, it was his turn to do the dishes. And he was the laziest motherfucker in the goddamn house. And we all were just so fed up with it. It's like, it's Sean's turn to do the dishes. And usually we would just do it because, you know, it's a communal kitchen. You only got the one kitchen. And you know what this guy did? The dishes got real gross because we just weren't touching them. We're like, you know, that's fucking Sean. And he he went over it one point because we finally gave enough shit. And he's like, fuck, this is terrible. And you know what he did when nobody was looking? He threw all the dishes out and bought a package of paper plates and said we should just be using these anyway. That's that's my kind of guy right there. That's what and I would that, probably do. That is how Kyle got into Han. <laughs> There's also I feel the time. Like, I feel like you're gonna write a book one day, like hundred percent, right? There's no Eventually. way you don't write a book. Yeah. I there's more. I finally cut ties. I have not spoken to him. He, he I finally killed him in my mind as a friend. When um at the time we still needed rent. The house was in foreclosure, but we needed rent for like utilities and just like communal stuff like toilet paper. And I thought it was simpler. It's like, you know, rent anywhere is going to be 500 plus. We need like $150. And we have this hard time. I'm like, Sean, I need the money. You're like a week late. He's like, I don't have it. I don't have it. Blah, 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 blah. We have this thing. He's going to get his life on track. He's going to take bowling more seriously. Q four hours later, he comes home. He's got um seven uh seven grams of weed. He's like, oh, I I I got a great deal. Doesn't have money for rent. Comes back later that night with weed. I was like, you know what? And it's not even the weed thing or or money or whatever. It's you don't fucking lie to your friends. Mm. 
So that's how you build and, all the great well, he, camaraderie. Maybe he wasn't lying. Maybe he didn't have money for rent because he had to buy weed. <laughs> Man, there's some wild shit. There's some there's some really good true. times from that period, but Oh, there's some stories, man. Though there's a New Year's party. Oh my God, I don't like. I don't know if I. Dude, you're gonna be the best old man ever. Fucking <laughs> man. Okay, so okay, this is mortifying, but I'll say this one. Like this was one of those wild things. So New Year's Eve, shortly before we had moved my mom out uh, to go to Maryland, because New Jersey is just—it was a toxic place. Don't ever go to New Jersey. There's nothing there. It's the definition of like snobby. People are snobby, whether they're just straight up trash or they're wealthy. It doesn't matter. Everybody's just awful. It's the un, it's the meanest state in the union. Anyway, before she leaves, we throw like she's like, yeah, sure, we'll throw a party on New Year's Eve. I'll be here. It'll be fun, and you know, we'll we'll keep things under control. So we had a few friends over, and I'll never forget there was a, there were a couple girls that had came, one of whom had just broken up with like her boyfriend of like four years. Super sweet really nice girl there was a guy at the time who was living with us named ariel um because he was 19 and he had emigrated from argentina seven months ago to provide for his wife and daughter in argentina and just to like continue in ariel's direction before you get back to this night seven months later he ended up taking out a girl that uh as like a trainee interview at our door-to-door sales job because that's how we knew him and this girl uh was like two months pregnant and she didn't get the job, but she ended up, like, he ended up dating her. And at a point, she moved into our house, and now he's still with her. But he effectively told his, like, girlfriend he, – he disowned his girlfriend and son back in Argentina to stay with this other woman and raise another man's child in America. And I assume it worked because it's, like, eight years later and they're still together. But – I mean, wow. Like, that's cold. Um, so we were all a little uncomfortable with that because we didn't really know the situation, but we all knew he had a son and, and a girlfriend of a long time in Argentina. Hmm. Whatever. This night, we were having a party. It's New Year's Eve. Ariel, he's a very tall, good-looking Spanish guy, hits it off with this girl who just got out of a long-term relationship. Um, and at a point... They go, like, downstairs, and and another friend is, like, in the other bed with his girlfriend. It's different beds. And I had uh, found, like, there'd been a friend from school we'd seen in the neighborhood on our way to 7-Eleven to get mixers. And we're like, yeah, sure, come by the party, Camillo. So Camillo comes to the party, and he's just like, he hears something. He's like, oh, what's going on down there? He He goes, like, halfway down the basement stairs, like, creeping, real quiet. He looks in, and he goes, oh, <laughs> runs upstairs. My friend is, like, the wo- the girl is mortified, okay? My friend Sean is ass naked, runs up the stairs, grabs a bat, and he's like, mother, like, and, and we think he's just going to, like, go kill the guy, so we stop him. My other <laughs> friend, and Camille, here's the thing. Camille doesn't understand why that's not okay, and he also refuses to leave the fucking house. He's like, why am I getting kicked out? I don't understand. My friend Ephraim is like way off in the kitchen. Like, yo, you got to get this fucking guy out the house, Kyle. My whole life, I've been this mediator, dude. Okay. He's like, you got to get this guy out the house. Like, he won't leave the house. I'm going to have to make him leave the house. Blah, 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 blah. And then I'm like, yo, you got to go. Blah, blah, blah. Da, da. We end up walking out. Whatever, whatever. But I'll just never forget that visual. 
because it was like the steps. Like I didn't really see it happen. I only heard the steps. I heard him yell, you know, ooh, da da da. And then his like little pitter patter up the stairs. And then you hear like angry man coming up the stairs, like bum 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 bum. And then suddenly there's a man with his dick out holding a bat, like motherfucker, Camilla. Whew. Good night though. Fun party. That explains a lot. That is when Kyle knew he had to get into Dota. <laughs> Man, you have a lot of stories, I have to say. Good lord. But it makes sense when you have that many people living in the house, right? Coming in and yeah. out. I, I think uh, I remember seeing this when uh, IRL streaming was really popular. Um, specifically, I think it was Ice Poseidon. People were always like, oh, this is all, like, everyone thinks everything's scripted. People don't realize, if you just hang out in a major city, or just around, like, a bunch of people, like, weird, crazy shit is going to happen. That's just life. And I think a lot of people that typically watch Twitch just aren't experienced to, what do you, happens if you just are bored and have nothing to do, and you go fuck off to some city, or, or whatever, where there's people for 10 plus hours? All right, let, let's get a bit back on track towards... Lifeline here. Wait, well, okay. probably a good idea. Probably Have we been on track at all yet? No. This is where we're starting. Okay. Uh, okay. So, in terms of your Han so where career... where did you grow up? <laughs> <laughs> no, for, for Han, I, I, I j every, everybody that's on this show that has played Han, I always ask them, what do you miss from that that you wish was in Dota? Is there anything? <laughs> the concede button. <laughs> I think it's part of the reason Dota's so toxic. Mm -hmm. I, I really do. I'm sorry, but like sometimes the game's just over. And you just want it to end, but you can't let it end. And there are definitely benefits to like not giving up. In in Han, it required a unanimous vote. I think that that's fair. I think a unanimous vote is an, is is enough. And if one guy is like, I want to keep playing, then you keep playing. It's that simple. Um, it did it work like that? Yeah. So if four people voted yes and one person voted no, then the four people who voted yes were just like, okay, we'll play for your sake, or were they uh, like, oftentimes you, no, dude, go concede. But yeah, usually it'd be like, fuck you, go concede, yeah. But right. ultimately, I think that that is not... I, and, you know, on one hand, you want to instill this culture of not giving up. On the other hand, I think that people should place more value on time. And ultimately, if the game is over, even if it only saves you three minutes, it's ten people's three minutes. It's half an hour. And that adds up real quick when you consider some games are over. Like, somebody's running down mid, right? Like, we could vote kick as well. You could vote kick someone, which effectively counted as a report, and then concede. Which was dope. Imagine if the Fury and TPing the enemy base, you could just kick and then say, <laughs> okay, nice, game's over. Like, right. it was so simple. That sounds I feel like, so insanely toxic. I don't even know where to start with well, what you could do. Let, with let me just shit. say this because it was I, definitely. Been, I'm making it sound good. It wasn't shit. good. <laughs> I, I mean, it had its pros and it had its cons, right? I think from my perspective, if like for me, like not to say that I'm better than everybody, but you know, in some ways, I would be because I feel like I am responsible for the conceit button. I almost never used it unless I knew the game was 100% over. But most people, yep. I feel like, would abuse it, and that is an issue, which is why I've kind of gone back to. Like, I do remember the Hondas. It was very toxic, even with the concede button. And if you didn't concede, like Cinder said, it would get really bad. You were playing at a much higher level, so probably a little bit different, I would assume. People weren't breaking items, that's for fucking sure. I don't remember that ever being a thing no. in Han at all. Um, no. Um, definitely a conversation to be I had, think, though, I think. I think there's one thing about conceding as well in a game as complex as Dota is that at all skill levels, I think people don't understand the state of the game in pubs very well. Like, they think they're mega far behind and the game's just fucking over or they're frustrated. And then, 
you get one magically good team fight and you're suddenly just playing the game again. And if you had concede, you would just give up. Like there's so many, I don't know, like countless games where people are about to give up. They're like, fuck this shit. I'm out of this game. Just because you individually are having a bad game. But then there's three or four other players that are having a good game. And let's say in a game like that, there's a there's a player that has a bad game. And then you take a bad team fight and you start spreading like this negative morale and the game just turns to shit. You could swing that game in one good fight later down the line because you still had pieces to move around with. But if you just give up, you're just throwing the game away, essentially. I feel like it's such a hard thing to balance out because there's plenty of games where I would like to have concede. And then there's games where I'm happy I didn't have it, whether I won or lost. Like the games could still be actually good and feel like they were in range. I don't know how many games I've played in the last month where I've been like, okay, this game just feels over minute 10. And then the game is like 45 minutes long. And at three different occasions, we were 50-50 to win the game. What what do you think of, what about the remake option? And Han, if I think it was seven or eight people voted remake before there was first blood, the game got remade. What's I love the, that. Do they the play again against that? each other? Or? Somebody's like throwing and people have oh. honor. And they're like, I, there's no, like MMR is nice, but do you really want to play a game where someone's like, yeah, I'm running down mid? And obviously it was abused in some regard. Like that's the trouble with all these things, right? Because they're very case by case. There's some games you'd like to concede right. and there's other games that a concede option would ruin it. So it's kind of tough to find a, a solution. So then somebody's running down mid, people vote remake, and then you remake with other players. You just yeah. everybody just goes into queue and the game is void. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that's bad. If it's like if it takes like eight votes, then that's probably the only thing people would use it for. Right? Would be either somebody is disconnected forever and people can't be bothered waiting for the yeah. five or six minutes for the person to get auto kicked, or because somebody just starts the game out griefing. Yeah, I feel like that's such a, an extremely minor problem in my experience in the last year or in forever really uh, but then i see i think it's a bigger problem in na with people just breaking items in the start of the game or like breaking the game just running down mid and feeding i haven't had that happen in a very long time it did happen a few times over the last few years but like a very minor issue but i think it varies a lot what experience people have and it also is a cross brackets it's really different it's so easy to have like your own opinion your own views which is like we need to remember our perspective on the game is extreme minority, right? Like we're in the top echelon and the way people experience the game further down can be very, very different. So I don't know. I don't know if it's good for everybody to have this. Yeah. This in in, in summary, who knows? Yeah, I, pretty yeah, much. I, I've been back and forth, honestly. I, I know people would yeah. abuse it. So I guess we just leave it as is most likely. But I think that's uh, generally been Valve's policy, right? When you think about it, the way they've implemented systems that can affect ranking, they've always done the <clears throat> quote unquote least community trusting thing almost, if that makes sense. Like they're always expecting the worst case scenario that if you leave leeway for people to abuse it, they will, right? That's why... You can't really, you can't abandon after the draft and not get punishment because then people would just abandon when they're like, we have a bad draft, even though there hasn't been first blood, whoever leaves and whoever breaks the game will always get punished. You can't feign my internet went out. Well, too bad. You're the one who disconnected. You get the whole punishment. You know, like there's no, you can't really manipulate the game to avoid losing, if that makes sense. And that's the kind of thing you could do with any of these implementations, right? Where you could um, 
for example, do the remake thing, then, okay, well, what if you have friends in the enemy team and blah, 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 you know, like there will always be looking for ways that this could somehow be abused. And I don't think they would want to get into that. Yeah. That's just, I don't know. Does that make sense? Yep, for sure. It uh, feels Kyle, like that's the way they're running. I do have a question for you. Um, throughout your career, most of your career, I would say, right? You teamed up with your brother, Zifrik, correct? Mm -hmm. In Han as well, right? I'm, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, our entire what, Han career, yeah. What was that like? Because like, most of your career is with your brother, so maybe it's hard for you to look outside that perspective that you've had that My entire career right? is with my brother. Entire career, okay then. Yeah, what, like literally based on entire your, career. Based on your perception of what other people go through throughout their career, that you know they don't get a special connection like that right off the bat. Somebody you can just trust, I assume, right away. What do you think that did for your career? Uh, I mean, it was certainly easier to build a team because you already had two out of five. Um, hard to say. I mean, it was interesting. I think the more interesting aspect isn't playing together. It's like how we came to like what we had to do, right, to, to, to succeed at this, where we, we both moved in with my dad. We, like, shared a room for a year and a half. Uh, we ended up, like... There was a two-week period when the team house, there was some drama in Han, and our team house had ended, and we thought we were going to renew it, but we weren't. So we had to take all the stuff from, like, one apartment, put it into the other, and we were both living in, like, this apartment just full of shit, you know? Like, two apartments worth of stuff in one small one. And uh, we just, like, lived through that for, for a while. Um, he then, like, he had to move, he moved in with a friend uh, in Michigan for like six months. I moved, I don't even remember where. I think I was still living with my dad. I don't even remember. I'd have to go back through the timeline. But it was more just, it, it's really cool to just have somebody to rely on. I feel like I've always been, like, Zach's just somebody you can rely on. Uh, we complimented each other pretty well, I think, because I'm like this loud person who is just like too loud and too talkative i would argue and he was just pretty mellow and if zach was uh people would make memes like you know don't don't wake the bear like if zach got mad at you um you knew you fucked up or if, if zach said you know stop that like listen like you knew you you were wrong because he's not gonna to make his opinion heard unless he thinks it's like really necessary for you to hear it um I think he's still a phenomenal player. He was one of the best players in, in Han. I think he is still one of the best players in Dota. It's just a shame he's in, a, you know, NA Dota is not really a thing. So, yeah, agreed. So, you, after you talked about this earlier, but No Tail Fanatic essentially just dropped out of the Han scene. And that's when you started to really hit your stride around that time. I think it was yeah. before that, actually, you started to hit your stride. And then we when they were left like it... making the lands. When when they left, um, we went through this whole reform. We moved in with my dad again. It was a long, long story, a lot of stuff. But basically, it was just Fnatic had left, but there was still like the same teams were all around. Um, it was also like we were finally good enough, if that makes sense, because we were new to MOBAs. So we had like maybe a year, year and a half of experience at the time. Once we hit like year two, uh, two and a half, we started to get really good. We were really good. And then from there on out, we just, we were winning everything. So did, did you take part in that legendary Han Tour land that was on the basketball yes, court? Yes, I won that tournament. All right. Tell me about that, the introduction experience, because I've only seen, uh, the video, it doesn't do it justice because you can't see shit. No, it doesn't. Oh, but yeah. Well, as, we didn't know what the personal fuck was perspective, going on. So, so just, this just just quickly is this the one where the opening is in this big basketball hall and it's just yes. dark? 
Okay. <laughs> the hardwood suites, actually, at the Palm in Las Vegas. That's where it was. Okay. <laughs> and uh, the event, the funniest shit was just actually, so you, there's smoke machines you'll see at the start, and then those turn off. The reason those turn off is because they had asked the hotel, can we use smoke machines? They said no. They did it anyway. But a representative from the hotel came in at a point and was like, why are there smoke machines on? Like, we will kick you out. We will keep your deposit. You will not be refunded any money. Turn those smoke machines off. So they got turned off. Uh, we didn't have an MC. I don't think there was any professional lighting. So it was just like this guy, Ace <laughs> Jr., my man, uh, our community manager, just with a microphone, no crowd, no help. And now, after having worked in town, like, I know, like, this is literally suicide. Like, there is no way to save this unless you are incredibly charismatic and you, like, make fun of yourself. But, yeah, he just called us out, like, one by one. We kind of stood there awkwardly in the middle of a basketball court. And it's like, yeah, Hantor finals. There's got to be uh, there's got to be a video on that. I'm pretty sure. But there is. It's the the lighting is like you guys. When I say bad lighting, I don't mean like it's. No lighting, essentially, is what I actually... It's dark. You can't see almost anything. Unbelievable. I've never seen anything like it, and we probably never will. So special place in my heart. So from your experience of being there, how is that even possible? Like, Uh, what what happened? Gross negligence. The person (laughs) ultimately responsible... Again, you know, just the person really responsible for that event got the job through nepotism uh, because she was the... It doesn't matter. I don't want to get into it or like denigrate somebody's career, although this one definitely deserves to be denigrated because uh, effectively this person was just like sitting on a couch uh, texting while this all happened, like had no oversight, was just bored. I believe it was like the chief of marketing who I guess oversaw the whole Hantor. And it was one of those scenarios where like no one was really in charge. So like, yeah, it was kind of of unbelievable. It, it it was basically run like how Valve would run TI, except by people who were either inexperienced or incompetent, and not nearly as much expertise or manpower, and also just not much of a vision for how this would be executed. Well, clearly they didn't have much of a vision when it was fucking dark. Yeah, nobody had any vision. So the, like, the irony is that they spent over twenty thousand dollars on water because instead <laughs> of just going to Costco and getting a bunch, they were buying it from the hotel in those like little tiny water bottles that were like three four dollars a pop hilarious also who throws a goddamn gaming tournament in vegas when half of your player base is under 21 do you know how boring and depressing vegas is for someone who isn't 21 i do actually, there's yeah. nothing to do yeah. it's it it's a monument to sin and depravity and you're not even allowed to partake you just get to watch old people smoke like vegas is goddamn it's like halloween every day except it's not a costume people are just it's a disgusting place. Uh, yeah, I've I've been there once. Really? I think, oh, I didn't know. Yeah, that. haven't we talked about this, Shannon? Maybe, maybe I'm remembering it wrong. I've been to Las Vegas once, and the best way I could describe it was that it didn't feel like a city. It feels like a facade. Everything <clears throat> just feels fake. It's so weird. Like very tacky. Yeah. Because like it looks like something out of a movie, which is obviously like. They kind of inspire each other, right? The movies in Las Vegas kind of draw from each other, I guess, to some extent. But it's like when you're there, it feels like you're not in a human place. 
it's just very yeah. strange. Like everything is so extremely overdone, flashing lights, electronic, blah, blah, blah. Everything just everywhere. It doesn't feel it, it is, like a place you can live, you know? It is a testament. So if, if, if there were a modern day Sodom or Gomorrah, it would be Las Vegas. It is just a testament to American consumerism and just, I don't even know, like, just not care. Ah, I hate Vegas. I really do. It is, it's an awful place. Went to a really good Gordon Ramsay restaurant there, though. So that was great. Yep. Delicious food. Yes. Actually, mm -hmm. they do have really that good food. It was That's actually very good. Um, okay, let's move on to, so you transitioned to Dota eventually. Can you talk about maybe some of the struggles or if there was anything that just was the stark difference between Han and Dota in terms of being an actual pro player? Anything in your mind come to come to light? Uh, not really. I feel like it was kind of the same process. If anything, I think it was it was more work but easier because like finding scrims as an example was simpler. There was a lot more player base that we had to like shuffle through. It was qualifying to TI five is like by I think the hardest thing I'll ever do. Like I cannot explain the relief I felt upon qualifying because it sort of validated this choice and it was sort of a requirement to continue the career, if that makes sense. So it meant we were gonna be okay. Like me and Zach were gonna be okay. We'd either be able to stay with complexity or we'd have other organizations support us. Like we we had made it. We were professional Dota players. And that was the real motivation for us the entire year was effectively just to demonstrate that we deserve that we deserved it. Because we were kind of a joke, you know, we were like these Han guys that just sucked, but played everything, and we sucked, and we sucked, there were like teams that stopped scrimming us because we sucked so bad, and we just kept working at it, kept playing, it was me and Zach for a long time, um, we had, we had Moon and Riser and like Bloody Nine, then we had like swapped, and at a point, it was just me and Zach again, and just different players, different players. And eventually, like, we found Ziz, like, Ziz could work. And then we uh, ended up getting finally convincing Fly and getting Moon. And, and we're like, hey, we're good. And we, we played so much fucking Dota. Like, I literally did nothing else. Um, we, we had an incentive structure in our contract. So effectively, if we were, I think, like, top five in NA or, like, top 20 in the world or we'd qualify to a major or something, that complexity would provide us a team house. And we didn't quite reach it, but we were close. So they got us to Team House, short notice, didn't really like the place. And it's part of even why I've moved here now. We'll get to that later. But we were living in a townhouse in Baltimore that was like four bedrooms and like an upstairs. So we gamed upstairs. And I gave, again, like this is just my big, big philosophy on leadership. I guess this is like a minor aside, is that you should never be, you should never ask anyone to do something that you're not willing to do yourself. I think that that's just sort of what, it like that's what you just have to be like that that's what being a leader is so we only had enough rooms for like two people to have their own so we gave it to the only two guys with girlfriends and i ended up staying in the same room with beef and with ziz ziz they both snore by the way and we had like uh, it was just a it was one of those things like it was just kind of a depressing existence but I was motivated to, like, win. Like, I just need to make it to TI. If I make it to TI, it'll all be okay. So I'm sleeping in, like, a corner of the room on a mattress. I got these two fucking snorers in the, other, in the same room with me. Um, I had a girlfriend at the time, which was, like, goddamn, that, that's it's a pretty sad life. Um, Here are my so, two roommates. Meet them. Yeah. Oh. It just, it wasn't, it wasn't, yeah. Uh, anyway, um... And yeah, and, and we eventually, we did it. Like, we, I, I did nothing but play Dota. I was a mid-player at the time. So there, I felt a lot of pressure. 
um, because ultimately, like, my laning wasn't that great. It got there by the time the qualifiers hit, um, but I was just better at, like, stuff that translates from Dota, or from Han, rather. Like, just map, like, positioning, item decisions, um, and, like, when to win the game. But in terms of mechanical skill, when I was playing at TI5 main stage, I had 11 months of Dota experience. So I was significantly behind. Even somebody like Sumel, who's like seven years younger than me, had like six years more Dota experience. So there was a lot of stuff I just didn't know, like start Quelling Blade on Dragon Knight against Ember Spirit. Still mad I didn't do that. Game uh, game two against EG. But yeah. Hmm. Did you miss any of the... I mean, when I transitioned just as a casual player, like the turn rates were awful to get used to the cast animation everything just felt more fluid in han and i'm not even gonna yeah. lie i still miss that like i me too like when i play pangolier that's a 1.0 turn rate it's not quite as fast as what is, was in han but he feels like a han here that's why i really yeah. love playing that hero yeah 100 percent agree that was what took that's also why i didn't do it and why i had like this interim of maybe i'll get a real job first because switching to dota was really painful it, mm. it takes like it took like 200 games before you just stopped wanting to hurt yourself because everything was so slow <laughs> Dude, um, Leshrac and Lena. Oh my God. Yeah. You should, actually you should play, play IO here. Shannon. Zero turn rate. That's true. That's yeah, a good point. Okay. Go. Let's, let's, hero. let's fast forward a bit. So uh, talk about your retirement. Was that a difficult decision? How did that come about exactly from playing? Um, well, too, though, as I said already, like Machine and Slacks were basically like, hey, you're good at this. And I think that Machine and Slacks are both the best in their field at like what they're doing um, mm. in different ways. Like, I just think you can't replace either of them. And uh, I wanted to, like, actually try to, like, live my life. Um, I felt, I don't want to get too much into details about the complexity stuff, but I really felt like I was killing myself to, to like, win, to, like, make this work. And my reward for that was to get kicked without, like, a word. Uh, my teammates left early from PGL Bucharest, which was the last event we played. And I, I was kicked, and none of them had even had a conversation with me. In fact... Two of them were not even in Texas anymore. They had like left, and they didn't even have a replacement in mind. So on one hand, and like, it, it was just like insane. Wait, so your brother hadn't talked to you either? Um, he did, but like, I understand the position because effectively the other three guys were like, yeah, we 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 want out. It's like him or us, and like it was basically start from scratch because I. Don't believe uh, it's complicated, but complexity, I don't think, was in a position to choose to stay with like the two guys instead of the three uh, when they saw some like fringe levels of success. So okay. they were going to most likely back the three. Um, another uh, just quick aside, nothing against the guys complexity. Uh, you got to make the right decisions that you think are best for your business. However, any of you guys in chat, keep in mind that there is no such thing as company loyalty and that ultimately you, you, if you if you want to be rewarded for stuff, you got to get that in writing because ultimately you don't matter uh, to whatever company it is you're working for, and you are replaceable. So just keep that in mind and protect yourself. I I should have. Um, anyway, I got kicked. Um, what, where were we going with this? What what did you ask? Just, oh, why to retire? Yeah. So yeah, I got kicked, and by people I considered like my really close friends. You know, like these were guys I'd lived with for a couple of years. <clears throat> Chessie and Limp. You know, Chessie's like somebody that was living with me back in that original team house in South Beach when I was like 20. So these are like five year plus relationships, 
And the fact that I didn't even get like uh, anything, right? Um, I didn't get a heads up. There was no team meeting. There, there was nothing. Um, I didn't even get told, like, because this is something I pride myself on. Uh, I have, in my history, like, yeah, we kicked a lot of people. We went through a lot of tryouts. I handled those all personally. If there were somebody on my team and we were sharing a room together or, like, living in a house together, I said, hey, can we talk? And we spoke outside, and, and I kicked them. And if they were somebody we were playing with virtually, I would hop on a private call and I would kick them. Because that's, you know, that's what you do. It's your fucking job. Mm-hmm. So the fact that I wasn't given that same respect by people that had witnessed me give that respect to a number of people throughout history just made me really sour on the whole idea of continuing to sacrifice for other people uh, for the assum- with the assumption that maybe they'd be willing to do the same for you. Uh, and I also just wanted to have some fucking fun with my life. I was like 25, and I was just like, man, I, I want to travel, and this talent stuff is fun. I really like the talent group. I still do. My best friends are from talent dota 2 they're just significantly better humans than you'll find literally anywhere else in the world not in comparison to like dota teammates although i would argue that talent are significantly better humans and more responsible than most of your dota players but like it is insane the difference and i love i love the guys like i love um sheev and owen and fogged and sin i guess uh rich like suns fans cool like i i lacoste is hilarious who else? Like fucking Jenkins, Slacks. Like these people are legitimately incredible. And um, I, I, yeah. So it's like, huh? I can travel the world with my friends, and as soon as my shift is over, as soon as the game's over, I'm free. Whereas if I'm a player, I'm gonna go practice. I'm gonna go sleep. Like, I. It's just like I a constant stress on games your mind. It's just a constant stress yeah. in your mind when you're a player, I assume. Yeah, my limited experience in the pro scene. It's the same. Yeah, it's just constant. Like there's no downtime essentially. Like if you're taking a break, you feel guilty for taking a break. Mm-hmm. Whereas for talent, not so much, right? Yeah, Most and I love know. the game. I love talking about the game. You can't talk to players as another player the same way. You can't be friends with people. No, I can just be friends. I can go show up. I can knock on practice rooms until somebody lets me in and they're not screaming. I can say, <laughs> "Hey, what's up, guys? How's life? Here's mm-hmm. some hugs. I miss that." Um, and that's something that uh, the talent gives. And what really solidified it for me was I realized. I sat down, I thought to myself, okay, realistically, let's go through the timeline. Like, what's the best case scenario? If I start going hard, let's say I win TI. In fact, let's say I play Dota and I can guarantee if I work as hard as I know that I can, I'll win TI three years from now. I'll win a couple million dollars. Guaranteed. Would I do it? And I realized the answer was no, because I'm just not a fan of that lifestyle anymore. I, I I am just not about it. And thus, I will make my way a different way, and that'll be that. Okay, let's finish up with, um, now you've transitioned to live in Ukraine. Uh, you worked with WePlay with, it looked like you were doing tournament organizing yourself, so you've gotten a little taste of what that's like behind the scenes. Can you briefly uh, talk about that experience and your decision to live um, in Ukraine? Huh. Well, that was so interesting story about that. Um, I had worked to Kiev. Uh, in Kiev for Star Ladder, and then I flew to my friend Sue Joy's house in London for like a four-day period just to hang out before I would then fly to ESL LA. Um, I'm flying out on Thursday. It's Wednesday. I think it's like 4 or 5 a.m. in the morning, and I wake up. I've got like 11 missed calls, 30 texts from 17 people. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? My head's still a little foggy from activities the night before, and it's like, holy shit, America's closing its borders. Ukraine is closing its borders. Coronavirus is serious. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh shit, I got to go somewhere. 
I could have been like, hey, Sujoy, can I stay here? But I didn't want to do that. He didn't really want me to do that. I'm smart enough to know. And also, who the fuck? I knew this pandemic was not going to just be a month and then gone. And I didn't want to sign up to stay with a guy that I really I, I like hanging out. It's a it's a lot of fun when I stay with him. But you know, it's it's one you can't impose like that. I'm just I'm too I, I can't do that. So the options were a go back home to my family in America. I thought that'd be a terrible decision because America, <laughs> we're not gonna get into that. Didn't want to be in America uh, during a global pandemic. I could have gone to Taiwan where I had a bunch of uh, friends, but there's no esport, there's no network there, and I knew they'd handle the virus well, but I would probably just go broke and eventually be bored. Uh, and then Anton from WePlay hit me up. He was like, hey. Come do this charity tournament for coronavirus. I can't pay you, but there will be more events. You'll get paid for those. I'm like, okay. And I ended up going with that. And uh, I think it was definitely the right choice because I just have more of a network here. Uh, we play has been great. They've like taken care of me in a lot of ways. And uh, there have been events that we've done that I think went off pretty well. Um, as for the Omega League, that was some shit. Um, I was at the WePlay studio every day from August, I want to say 13th, to all to september 6th every day i was in the studio for at least eight hours um we didn't have like um it doesn't matter i did so i i i was quarantined i was either at home or in the studio from july 27th to to, to september 7th and i did like the interviews i was working the tournament while i was also trying to like schedule people for the for the offline stuff and it was just oh my god the coronavirus I was so nervous about because, I mean, I feel like uh, like our bubble had to work, right? Because if the bubble doesn't work, it's just kind of bad. Like, it, it suddenly goes from this beautiful event that is trying to replace TI to, like, you know, let's say, like, I don't know, Shiver. Shiver has a cough on Thursday in the finals of that weekend. Like, what the, what the hell do you do? You know what I mean? Um, but we, like, I, I made sure there were memos being sent out to, like, the entire office, like, every three days. Like, do not. Go anywhere. Go home. Always wear masks. Go home. Like, and and it worked. I mean, we had uh, we had no cases for for that entire tournament. So that's probably what I'm proud of the most. Like the tournament, the fact that whatever happened on camera, I don't even give a shit. I'm like, it was safe. <laughs> no one got coronavirus, and mm -hmm. we put on a show like that. Nice. And um and yeah. Did you did you like the organizational side of that? Because usually our basically almost all of talent work that you've done outside of WePlay has been, you know, the on-camera part. Does it appeal to you? Do you like, because you had a lot of responsibility and, and put in a lot of effort with making things work and making ends meet and everything. Just, yeah, so much organizational stuff that you hadn't done before. Shannon and I have tried it a bit with Captain's Draft, uh, the tournaments that we've run in the past. Do you like it? Or would you rather just be on camera? Oh. Uh... You know, I'm torn. That's actually kind of what I'm living with right now, is I'm trying to determine which direction I kind of take my life. Because the thing about being like an on-camera presence is that I think you've kind of got to buy into your brand. So it means that I should have my, I shouldn't just come on your podcast. I should do my own podcast. I should mm. tweet at least once a day. Yeah, I should post should on Instagram. I should stream. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. And, um, and that's just like a lot. And I don't really... Um, We'll get into that later, I'm sure. There's like different sides of internet culture I'm not a huge fan of. I like that my private life is private. I hate the idea of sort of selling your life. Like, oh, what's cool in my life that I'll go share with strangers so that it'll hopefully make me money? 
just feel soulless. And I don't want to do that and be forced to do that. In addition, I think that the organizational side activates like my older brother Dota captain guild leader powers because ultimately I'm much better at making sure other people are taken care of. If you tell me you need something, if I have to do something for you, I'm going to get that done. Do the, the laundry, buy new clothes or shoes, like, ah, I can live without. So the idea that I could sort of tie my success to the success of others is pretty cool to me. And I also like that that means, like, you know, everybody can win. Like, it's just everybody wins in a good event, right? You win because you're being paid and you're putting on a good show and you feel proud of that. The community wins because they get to watch something that's entertaining. The T, the TO wins because... They get a product that's entertaining. The teams win because they get fun interviews and content. And it's like, that's cool to be a part of. And the other issue with talent work is that it ultimately doesn't mean anything. You're only as good as your last event. You can be, how do you judge someone? Like what, was I extra funny today or this event? Was I was I on point with my analysis? Does that even fucking matter? Is anyone listening? Who cares? Whereas when you put on the tournament, it's like, you made this. And I remember DC Captain's Draft having a conversation with Mott about this at the conclusion of the bar crawl because he was um, – and I hate to like sell out this. Here I go again. I'm selling out a personal conversation for, for views, but at least I guess it's yours, so it's fine. Um, but with Mott, Mott was sad. Uh, not sad, but he was just like – you could see the stress. Like Mott worked real fucking hard. I know that he was there for a long time. I don't know how much money you guys made, but I know there was some stuff that went wrong. He wasn't, like, super pleased. He's just a good good soul who wanted things to be perfect, and they weren't. And I was just like, look, man, look around, right? Because a DC Captain's Draft, it's, it's still probably the coolest event that I've ever participated in. Ooh. I rented out a massive Airbnb for the whole family, and it was the first time in like seven, eight years that both sets of now divorced parents were together my cousin's side and my, my own parents' side. So the four patriarch or two matriarchs and two patriarchs of the family were together. All of my cousins were there. My one cousin who was at a boot camp or a, like a, he drove like six hours to get there for the last, for Saturday, like right before the finals, we had some friends and it was just a fucking awesome event. And this bar crawl was amazing because there was like 16 people that were just like, it was me, my four brothers, my two parents, my cousins, uh, my aunt and uncle, my four cousins, my five cousins, two friends, um, two other friends that drove up. 19 people in this bar were just there because of this tournament and us. And that's what I was talking to Mon about. Like, look at it. Like, you made this. This fun, like this joy that you see people experiencing is primarily due to the efforts of you and your TO and putting on this show. That will create memories. What you do on camera fades. It ultimately is irrelevant. You can replace my dumbass with a dumbass below me. Like you're really not going to see much of a difference. Obviously, if I'm on camera, it'll be significantly more entertaining. Cinderin. <laughs> um, we'll just be better. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. you get what I mean. It, it means nothing. Whereas putting on the event, like you create something. That is that is the essence of, of what I want to do is, is to create stuff. And I, it's uh, what my favorite author also says. Is, you know, you, he thinks it's necessary for the human soul to create. And there's a Greek word for it called poesis, which is the act of bringing something into being that did not exist before. And ultimately, all we are on this planet is a, a scream into the void and then we're gone. You know, uh, if you look at the uncaring universe, it exists 
no matter what we do on it. But the idea that because I'm here, things happened is really is really cool to me. And and oh, that's... like the idea that you can make stuff that involves other people is is really dope. That's a really interesting perspective. I had no idea you thought that way about Captain's Draft. Uh, I that experience, Nikki and I did like 90% of the work leading up to the tournament, if not more. And we almost had nervous breakdowns, literally. Like, it was bad. Yeah. It was the most of stressful course. experience in my entire life. I never want to do it again. That's for fucking sure. Unless I have a lot more <laughs> support, I guess, like monetary-wise and whatnot. But technically, even though we had issues during the event, it was a successful event. And that's uh, obviously something we can look back fondly on. Uh, but that's a good segue because you've been involved... There's been a lot of talk about how tournaments, uh, the streaming platforms with streamers uh, essentially casting games, that's been a big issue for God, like literally forever since Dota TV has been a thing. But now with these new restrictions, we're seeing some pushback from the streamers a little bit. You've been involved uh, <laughs> as one of the talking heads for the tournament organizers. I feel like uh, the, the fact that you can see the perspective of the tournament organizers now, like firsthand, that's something that most viewers will never see and most players will not even give a shit about or even begin yeah. to understand, right? Mm -hmm. so that perspective is really important. So what do you think of the way that the rule set is now? They just One of the things they just added was the 15-minute delay as an option now so that is a little bit more straightforward with what kind of delay you're going to get. How do you think the system is implemented now overall? Um, hmm. um, well, first, I'm going to give just some clarification. I, if you think about Dota events as rock concerts, things will make a little more sense because ultimately there is no like big product like the NFL as an example that is um, artificially kept like, like as an example blackouts I think are the dumbest thing that that happen in the states still where if a game yeah. isn't sold out the state like they just they literally don't let people in the area watch it right y that's that's awful in Dota it's thank rock God concerts. for VPNs and, Jesus Christ and. and and the argument is like, so, so if you were at a concert, right, do you think that you, someone would get away with like holding up, like if, if someone, if they're streaming this concert on like some channel, if someone else could just say like, take the footage from the audience, right? You, you, and if you go to a play, if you go to Hamilton, you can't record it. That's the whole point. You're paying tickets to see the show. Um, and I am aware that none of these tournament organizers in Dota, uh, all of like, they're not making money. And I think it's insane that for a while, like I just can't, I, I cannot wrap my head around how somebody thinks they're entitled to someone else's product without offering anything. And somehow they're the good guys by like providing exposure. I, that blows my mind. I'm upset because I think that the restrictions as they are in place now is a good compromise. And ultimately, if it's, Dota never hires me anyway, so I don't really care. I can't stand <laughs> what they did, because they just, they did the worst thing ever. It's like, we have fought for years just to get this minor concession, and you respond by, like, literally throwing the book at people, and, and outing and making sure it's near impossible for community streamers. If I had the way, um, if I had a, a hand in this, I would say that, look, streamers, your delay can be the exact same as the tournament's. I don't care where people watch the stream. In fact, I would love it if people would... Um, I think that tournaments on like off days should have days where only streamers cover it. 
like find some way to incentivize them, pay them money, whatever. But ultimately, you just got to use the sponsors. And like people are upset, oh, I'm not going to play this ad. I'm not going to – if they want me to use their sponsors, they need to ask – they need to give me money. Like, no, motherfucker. It's not yours. It's theirs. They made this. They paid for the teams. They paid for the talent. They literally put on the show. You can't just you, – and they have sponsors because they're trying to, like, make money. And now you want the product, but you don't want the sponsors. Like, how is that – like, what are you a moron? It just blows my mind. Um, and – I mean, based on Valve's wording, they, they kept it quite vague and open, right? Which, like we talked yes. about on the podcast, we knew that the first tournament was going to go to the extreme, and they did. And now there's pushback the other side. Uh do you think that Valve needs to be more specific or like, how does this get resolved in any way? Cause it's just going to be a, a, this constant back and forth. Um, I think, I think in a way it's already been resolved. Um, but I mean, this is kind of the Valve mentality, like no rules. Cause rules, if you, if you say, if, if you say, okay, like, you know, we draw the line here. Well, this is enforceable now. And suddenly there, but if the line is like somewhere here, it's a gray area, and the idea is like things will work itself out, and then they're allowed to sort of intervene on a case-by-case basis, which ultimately you can argue is a better policy. You go back to the concede vote, the remake vote, etc. Ultimately, things like this sort of require context. Um, and I think that the spirit of the ruling, if you, in theory, was good. The trouble is the distinction between what a streamer is and a corporate entity. This is one of my biggest problems with how things were done in the past. Because Gork and Bulldog are entities, like they're brands. But they were not. They were just, they were community streamers. Whereas if someone like me and Fogged, as an example, were to do the same thing, or if Owen and Fogged were to do the same thing, they would be entities, not streamers. How is that, like, where is the difference? I, like, I don't understand. So it's, it's effectively just saying, well, because this is one person, they can do it. And because it's not their main profession, they can do it. The trouble is that they only are going to do the games that people want to watch anyway. You know, I don't think any of these big streamers have an interest in watching or casting Yellow Submarine versus Five Men. But when OG's playing Secret, oh, they're going to be here, they're going to be ready. And in addition, the thing, and this is why I, I, once again, like, I'm sorry for what I had said about Sing Sing, but I got real mad because I had woke up, I had my coffee, I tune in, I see this guy's stream <laughs> title, it's like, oh, free content day, and the first thing he says is like, who's ready, guys? Free content? I'm like, motherfucker, I know this isn't free. I am here. I am in quarantine. It's been one month. We had to fly people here. They got corona tests. We had to test everyone in the studio. Do you know how much fucking work this is? And you're just going to be like, Whoa. like, oh, I got mad. Whew. And yeah. Okay, so what do you think about... Okay, so this is a little bit earlier in what you said, but um, obviously the perspective that a lot of people are taking is that the tournament production and all of these aspects of it are what is owned by the tournament organizer, and they are running that, and they're bringing in the teams, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, but that the game itself as a game is not their property. And therefore, if a game is played between two teams, let's say... Let's say I organized a tournament that cost me nothing, just as a hypothetical example. I organized a tournament that cost me nothing. I organized a show match between Navi and Alliance for fun, but I organized it and I'm playing it in, I'm running it in Dota. Um, and I managed to get sponsors for it because it's a show match between two big brands and I make some profit because I organized it. Mm -hmm. It didn't cost me anything. I made money and now 
the game itself is being played in the client, which Valve owns. And Valve says anybody can watch in Dota TV. Correct. Everyone can you... watch in Dota TV. You shouldn't be Where... able to take that Dota TV feed and then stream it on Twitch if okay, you're not so... doing something with the person organizing the event. Okay, so as soon as it's an event where somebody has had any sort of organization, they own the event. If it's your event, it's your if it's you, Cinder, and throwing a tournament, it's your tournament. As far as I'm concerned, you're the one putting right. in the effort. You're the reason it's happening. The the reason I ask is because this is where a lot of it seems like this is the main point of disagreement is who like what parts are owned by what, right? Because in reality, Valve's very clear wording is that the game is owned by Valve and Dota TV is owned by Valve. So yep. if somebody watches in Dota TV, it's their property. And that was what caused all the drama before we had all of these restrictions was that, well, because of this, anything that's Dota TV feed is everybody's property because anybody can watch it. And that's why anybody was allowed to stream anything at that mm. point. So now that we're reaching this point of this gray zone, I was just wondering where, if you could draw the line where you would draw it, is it literally absolutely any content that is organized by somebody, they should own all of the broadcast rights and they are allowed to sell them or not or whatever. Um, but if I made a show match, it's mine and other people should not be allowed to stream it. I think that's kind of on a, again, it's sort of case by case basis. I'd say in the spirit, then yeah. Um, I will say okay. to your point, I have, I have said, and I said this to multiple tournament organizers that were throwing their own events, because if you do a DPC event, it's gotta be on Dota TV. It's part of the contract. Uh, if you do your own tournament and there's no contract, I said you should just take this off Dota TV. It's an easy solution. Just take it off Dota TV. And right. that's a literal controversy in a moment. And obviously nobody's been willing to do that. But that's like kind of the issue where that is effectively just like that. that's going to get Valve's attention. That's going to get them involved. That's going to blow up. Streamers are going to be upset. And, and that's why I think there has to be this sort of this workaround. And people say, well, oh, you don't pay money to Valve for the rights to the game. That's, that's Valve. That's not the TOs. I, I promise you, much like uh, in other games, if people were able to pay for exclusive rights, like, and they could then sell those rights to different countries and different streaming services for more money than they're paying Valve, they're going to do that. Like, that's not an argument against this concept. It's not on a TO side if Valve doesn't want to charge. They have their own priorities because Valve operates in a different structure from different publishers because Valve doesn't really have a priority on Dota. Valve's priority is on Steam. So mm -hmm. they want you in Dota TV because they want you on Steam. They don't want you to, to be watching through other platforms that they don't own. They want you watching in Dota TV. And back, you know, there was item drops, and it just kind of all turned into stuff. You get items for watching, then you trade those items for money, and Valve takes money from there, and it's like, uh, it's a market. Um, but, yeah, it, it, I would say in theory, yeah, if you make a 1v1 tournament, a Cinder 1v1 tournament, I don't think you would have a recourse necessarily, but I think that you would have a right to be pretty upset if instead of watching it on your channel, where you're organizing it, and you're hosting it, and you're putting on the prize money, and you're making the schedule, and you're admining, that some other guy was just like, yeah, let's watch Sin's 1v1 tournament and not do anything for him. Like, so what's, I, the, what's the implementation right now from Valve? If you want to run a tournament and you want some sort of, I'm not going to say exclusivity because that's not really what it is, but if you want to enforce your rules of what streamers need to do, you need to apply, right? You apply your tournament to Valve and they approve it and then you can start setting restrictions, right? So you have to, Valve needs to acknowledge your tournament as a product first before you can set your guidelines, right? So basically, 
what I'm saying here is I can't just throw a tournament tomorrow and be like, this is mine. Valve needs to approve it first before I can do stuff. Correct? Or I, no I misunderstand? I don't here? remember that being a thing, actually. I, okay, I don't, so that you could means, be right, but I don't remember that being a thing. Because the, the reason it matters is that, like, that is how Valve can filter and decide, right? Because we were like, it's case by case. Yeah. But case Look, by case I, doesn't work if the governing body isn't going through the cases. Yeah. So I, then they have to go through the cases. The, the, it all comes down to incentives, right? That literally is the incentives are what guide us in our decision making through life. And the trouble we had was that as a tournament organizer, you literally couldn't do anything. Mm -hmm. We tried to hire the big streamers. They said no, because they could make more money and have more fun streaming it themselves. And then they don't have to travel. They don't have to wake up early and put on nice clothes. They don't even need to turn a fucking webcam on. You don't have to watch Yellow Submarine versus Five Men. You don't need to cast Division 2 Dota on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. You just watch OG Secret and, uh, and uh, uh, Liquid versus Alliance. And... And that's all you have to do. Of course, who wouldn't take that deal? That's a great deal. Mm -hmm. It's a great deal. But I don't think that a rational, non-parasocially uh, influenced viewer can look at that and say, oh, what's wrong? It's exposure. Like, it boggles my mind. Then Dude, you go the into word. choosing beggars <laughs> and you see the internet flaming people, uh, these influencers, for asking for free stuff for clicks. Because, you know, people want money, not uh, engagement or whatever. Like, I like it, it just blows my mind how we can't see the parallels. Anybody that's worked in the esports long enough probably has PTSD with the word exposure. It's just uh, <laughs> considered just a bad word overall. Um, let's see, what time are we at? Okay, I, I want to talk about two things. Let's try to keep one of these brief, though. Uh Kyle, good luck. Cinder and I have talked the shit out of this topic, and I'm just interested in interested in what your perspective is. Although you did write a blog recently, so I kind of know that you basically agree with us. But um, when it comes to the international, and it's just it's the only thing that seems to matter every single year in the Dota scene. There's so much money involved. Cinder and I have talked yep. about how maybe you you cap it off and you give the excess money and spread it out throughout you know whatever tournaments. Yeah. Do you think? If we continue down the road that is currently going, like we're going to keep breaking the record. Like a couple years ago, I was like, no, there's no way that TI is going to break the record. Who again. fucking cares? Who cares? TI not, what is it, 40 million? Does it feel any different than when it was, oh shit, 25 million back in nope. TI 6? Is it, Actually, does it literally it mean anything? It does it, not to me. It feels it, no different. It's the same. Like it's it's an astronomical sum of money that anyone who wins is going to be overjoyed. It is life changing money. You could cut it in half. You cut it in, in like, it, it just blows my mind. And it's part of why we have this, again, it's incentives. A player has one goal, win TI. And part of the reasons, like, there's no incentive for them to do an interview. Why would anyone ever come on this podcast and give you insight on how to win at Dota? Like, why? That's the most valuable information. Look at the, the winners throughout history. Like, they're, they hoard, and it's a good decision. Think about original team secret. Part of why that team was so successful is because that represented five comp competing teams. S4, Alliance. Sure, he's very influential. No-Tail, captain of OG. Fly, captain of EG. Puppy, captain of Secret. Kuro, captain of Enigma. These are now five of the best 10 teams in Dota. 
by staying together, they effectively eliminate their competition because it's the ideas, the strategy, and developing cohesion and an overall worldview of the game that is what makes you successful at Dota. It is very uh, experience required and it's why it takes teams so long to catch up it's why a team like tnc can hop up a tier when someone like heen comes in because he is elevating their cognitive understanding of the game as a whole and getting them to better grasp the concepts that win games like item timings uh draft complements rotations like what objectives matter and effectively learning, you know, not tactics, but overall strategy. A lot of these teams in South America are tactically incredible. They're great laners. They're great uh, at combat, at team fights, at clicking buttons and using spells. But that doesn't win the war. That wins the battle. And the players that win battles, they're always going to be on top. And I don't know how the fuck anyone's going to catch them because there's no one to learn from except these guys. And they have no incentive to share anything with anyone ever because by winning it when it counts, they're guaranteed, what, 500K each, a million each? It's, why would anything, why would they change anything? Why would they make content? Why would they come on podcasts? I don't blame them. So what's the solution? Do you like the idea uh, of a cap do, and okay, spreading it? The points, yeah, I can just add to that. If... With what you just said with TI as an example, would that change if TI was half as big and the rest of the year had more big tournaments? Wouldn't it still be the same logic that you hold your cards close to your body and you don't do this stuff? Because the, the amount of money and the amount of value in your knowledge is still the same. It's just spread out across more tournaments, right? Um, I, I think that ultimately, like if you look at uh, Cloud9's been very transparent in their new CSGO team and like the buyouts and who they're picking up, you look at the, the salary. Uh, let's go to League of Legends. The minimum salary for a player in the North American LCS is $75,000 a year. And I can tell you guys that I am, I'm not 100% certain, but in Dota 2 in the West, I would think there's only four, maybe five teams that are getting more than the minimum salary for an LCS player. The right. median is closer to 300K. And you just can discuss what ecosystem is better. And now I agree that in Dota, the incentives win at all costs, create some of the best and most engaging storylines and some of the best Dota. It guarantees the best Dota because winning is your only incentive. However, I am not sure it's the best for like people's mental health, for the stability of the scene and for fostering and developing new talent, because there's no money if you're not in this upper echelon. Right. There's nothing. You know, there are players that are top 100 in the world that are fucked, that are not earning income. And they play anyway because winning is the goal and they have this dream of winning TI. And I think that more has to be done to support those players because otherwise we're just going to do exactly what happened in Han, where the talent slowly but surely drift together. And instead of having a lot of competing teams, you have a few super teams and everyone else is fucked. And right. no one cares about these other teams because they have no shot at winning. And I think so. The, the basically, DPC, you would take. Yeah, go ahead, sir. I was just going to say the DPC that Valve announced that obviously is not in effect yet because of COVID. Is, I think it was a good start, but you still have the same issue with TI just being this monster that ends up still kind of. I don't want to say it poisons the scene, but in, in a way, it kind of does over a long period of time, which has been 10 years now. Yeah. I mean, it's part of why I wrote the book. I just couldn't believe it. I. It, it, you, we've got the scene used to this injection of millions of dollars every August. This year, it just isn't there. There's just, there's just nothing, and it's just, mm -hmm. you know, um, it's showing and the it, flaws. We're just okay with it. Yeah, like it, teams are dying. 
players are quitting. Um, like, ultimately, I think that the the future. As much as I hate to say it, I was against this back uh, even as a player. But really, what's necessary is for there to be some sort of entity that teams and through the teams, players have some form of revenue share and interest in the growth of the Dota product as a whole so that over time, we can see the game grow. We can build this collective pie for the com not the community, but rather like the ecosystem. Because now there's suddenly it's the teams that have a vested interest in the ecosystem. Teams do not make money in Dota. That's why right. we don't have them. Because there's nothing I can do. If you tell me that the way I should monetize my organization is by taking a share from my players, okay, how can I do that? If you have two choices. Either you go work with proven pros, right, who won't give you a large percentage because they know they're good and they want to win and they don't need you because they're already millionaires, or you can go to an unproven group and effectively just gamble your money. Because if they make it to TI and they place, let's say, top eight, you might break even. And like complexity, as an example, the way the math was going to work out was like we would have to finish, um, I think, at like top six, they would break even. Anything else, they lose money, right? Um, I mean, I, I, I bundle and things have changed orgs, since then. I bundle team orgs and tournament orgs in kind of the same boat because if they're not doing other games, not named Dota, they will not make money. And that. Like, just think about that for a second. If you're just Dota, it doesn't matter what org, you do not make money. Isn't that fucking crazy? That's insane, unless you win TI, obviously. And we can talk about how OG started as a player-owned org. Well, it ended up being a hybrid with Red Bull, obviously. I don't know how much they, yeah. they own, but it's like but half I, and half, probably. I think that that should be a pretty big sign. I, I, Alliance is a player-owned org as well. So you really just have Team Liquid, which is the most valuable franchise in eSport. Um, and just, you know, very much in a growth phase. And then four player owned teams. Those are your top, that's your top tier of Dota 2. And ultimately, it's part of the issue as well. And I don't want to, again, like, it's very complex. Like, there's no, there's no villain in this story. Um, maybe there's one, but, you know. Slacks. Yep. Um, ultimately, what incentive does a top tier player have to do anything but what's best for them? And what's best for them is more prize pool and and more money in prize pools. Not an ecosystem, not growing the tier two scene. Just more tournaments with more prize pool. TI fifty million, that's great for curl, that's great for puppy. And okay, I so... if those are the people that, that like why would they ever speak out about taking money away from TI? You know? And of course, like I again, they're not bad guys. Like I would do that too. Shit. Mm -hmm. Okay, so concretely, let's say we have, let me give you, let's say you get to be in charge of financing the next Dota year, and now you have a TI price pool of 40 million. What do you concretely do down to the dime? What are you going to do? What are you going to do uh, with the money? How much is in TI? How much is in other tournaments? And how do you make sure that, let's say, instead of having TI be this monster tournament, let's say we have five big tournaments. How does the money end up in different pockets? Because won't it still be the same big teams that win the other big tournaments anyway? Like, how are you? Are you going to have flatter payouts or uh, prize money structures, or do you want to host stuff that the other teams are flat out quote unquote banned from playing I mean, and depends. that has big I, prize money? I think you have an asterisk there, which is: do we do this? Like, is this something Valve is helping us operate, or are we doing it outside of them? Because if you involve Valve, and again, like, you keep in mind, Valve doesn't have the same incentives that we do. We want to see Dota 2 live. Valve want to see Steam grow, and Dota 2 is, is a drop in the bucket. So 
we have these great ideas, but ultimately, what what incentive? Why would Valve share the revenue? Like they they deliberately took revenue away from TOs and from teams, and they took it all for themselves. You know, talent don't get money because our voice lines are, are in the compendium. Uh, players don't get money because you buy their fantasy cards. That all just goes to Valve. So you can't create any kind of digital products. You can't really do anything to monetize either your team or your tournament within the game because that's all under Valve's control. So in concept, I think less important than sharing like the TI prize pool is, is them being more willing to allow in-game revenue generation for teams and for tournaments. Um, I would like, like, it could be so simple as even like, instead of paying five, $4 a month for Dota Plus, pay five and support your favorite team, right? And half mm-hmm. the money goes to that team. Like, well, basic the, stuff like this. The issue is... And, but they, if there's just no incentive. That, that, why even bother? Right. It's, again, you're talking about a company that has billions of dollars in revenue. Why would they devote the time? One of the most profitable per-employee companies in the world, if not the most... Why in the world would you devote someone's time instead of like, because you got to keep in mind, this is like the most smart motherfuckers that exist, right? That was the cream of the crop. That is the place to work as a developer, as somebody interested in gaming. Do you want to go work on the, on the, on the verge of AI, on cutting edge VR, or do you want to help EG and other teams add a bonus <laughs> Twenty thousand dollars in revenue per year. Right. Well, I, th- I think one thing, and I don't know the specifics behind this at all, but like at, in terms of what's actually happening, the one difference between all the other games that Valve works on is you have Ice Frog, an actual like fixed entity essentially, which I'm assuming is still working on the game. But going back to your point about getting revenue to teams and players and all that, the crazy thing is you mentioned some of it. They've had that in the game forever. They just stopped doing it because, yes. like you said, no incentive to do it whatsoever. So what do we have? We had team penance which paid to the team whose pennant you owned. And we had the ability to tie cosmetics and compendiums to tournament organizing, which right. we reaped the benefits of in one tournament, which was fucking amazing. Um, has there been anything else than those two things? Mm, I mean, even if you want to just talk about the regular workshop, like a player getting a set in the game, yeah. they get, like right. those don't right, make right, any right. money anymore. Like even if they got yeah. in, because True. Valve is yeah. kind of, you know, well, they don't watered really it down either. with all the immortals. Yeah, right. It wouldn't get in anyway. Even if it did, it wouldn't make much much money because of all the immortals have, you know, muddied the workshop. As and a whole. it just came out all these options. Like they still include. Like I believe for uh, if I'm not mistaken, at the the treasure troves. So like you can buy a trove and then you can buy like the autograph, right? I believe mm-hmm. talent get like 14% of that. So it's not even like we're not talking about splitting it. It's like I think you get 14% it, of the entire treasure. I remember so the way that they ended up doing it. And it's $5 with the autograph. Then you get 14% of the $5, not 14% of the additional dollars. Okay. That's how I remember it, I think. You're probably right, because uh, I yeah. don't often know what I'm talking about. Yeah. There's definitely <laughs> something there. And I mean, that's a nice thing, right? It's not, it's not like, it's not insane, but at least it's some sort of interaction where the community can support Look, it, the people. It, it, it's, it's, it's more that we need more of that stuff. We need it for players. We need it I, for teams, orgs. Talent are arguably in many ways needed less. Yeah, you know, I'm not saying game. I'm not complaining about myself. I I want the game to live. I like my life. I like the job that I get to do. I'm concerned because I don't know what to like tell my friends and to even tell myself what should I plan. What will Dota be in five years? And and the biggest issue we have right now in Dota is let's say I I hook a big fish. You know, 
McDonald's really wants to do an activation in Dota. They love the game. Do you have anything planned in like quarter two next year? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I have no clue. I don't know what's going to happen next month, let alone three months from now. And big, like big brands, sponsors, like all these things, when you involve like large entities, these are going to take months to execute on. They want to invest in a product. They want to be a part of a long-term vision. And that just can't exist at the moment in Dota with the status quo as is. And I feel like that is, I don't necessarily have a solution, but we need a way for, for teams, for players, for, for our community to invest in something that can then grow year over year. That isn't the TI prize pool because the TI prize pool is just a massive fucking rock concert and that's it. And it's over the end. And the money that goes into the scene is not coming back into the scene in any way. And I don't necessarily have a problem with that. I'm just saying that, you know, imagine if this money was flowing into something that then people were interested in building and nurturing and continuing to grow. That's why League is successful. That's why Counter-Strike is going to continue to be successful because there is an incentive for teams to spend money now and put in time now for benefits in the future. Right. So you think, like, for example, again, you didn't give any concrete uh, example, but, but let's say we took the 40 million and you kept 20 million in TI and you could do whatever you wanted with the other 20 million. You don't think for the longevity of the scene and for the pro teams and whatnot that it really matters. So it's not oh. really about prize money. It's about monetization. Let That's me swap. the biggest problem in the game. Let me answer. Let me swap my headset better before it does. One second. Wireless headsets. So, Cinderin, how's it going? It's a good headset, though, if it is the one said, I think it is. Um, but so I, but okay, so what I was saying was you're focusing a lot on the monetization and on teams and orgs being able to make money in the game. So you think that, I guess my wording was something along the lines of that is way more important than redistributing the money that we currently have is giving people the opportunity to make money. Right. So if you took 20 I, million I want... from PI and spread it throughout the year and gave it other uses, you don't think that matters very much relatively think... to, just as an it's, example. It's... It's just a difference in, I guess, how you would look at it. I think that redistributing money is very different from creating other methods of growth. Like, I don't want Valve's money. I just want the... To be able to make your own. I I want one of two things. I want Valve to either, like, buy in, similar to, like, and, and, and foster the growth of the competitive scene, or I want them to fuck off and run TI. I don't like this middle ground area where they're sort of in charge, but like you bear the risk and it's your money. I I want there to be some sort of open system where there's other methods of of monetization so that teams and TOs can have ownership in the future of the game because ultimately their incentives are for the game to thrive, right? They want Mm -hmm. the game to grow. They want more viewership. And how does this benefit players? Well, Ultimately, the reason Counter-Strike salaries are so high is because the product is worthy of investing. And who knows, like maybe this'll, this won't pan out. Maybe Counter-Strike dies a horrible death, similar to the Overwatch League. Who knows? But ultimately, the salaries will be higher. Like, yeah, maybe there would be like $10 million less uh, in prize pool, but you're going to be able to, you're going to get three times as much money from salary. Suddenly teams like, sorry about the mic. Suddenly teams like G2, uh, like 100 Thieves, you have an incentive to have a Dota team because you're also going to have some sort of share in the growth of Dota 2 Esport moving forwards. This, this is, you know, I'm not trying to be some sort of like corporate sellout, but there's a reason the Premier League and, and the NFL and the NBA are successful. It's because they can control a product and create games. 
and find ways to generate revenue off of their product. This doesn't right. directly the benefit NBA's the players, incentive. but it does. It's the NBA's incentive to create money for their teams, right? It's not even remotely what it's like for Dota. Which exactly? I mean, you look at League, look at Dota. They're on probably polar opposite extremes. I I personally right. don't think it needs to be on the other extreme, but there needs Me to neither. be more balance. Like it's yeah. it's just like we're in the wild fucking west right now. Do we think do we think CS:GO has struck a pretty good balance there compared to let's say we say League has like hands-on full control. They basically sign the players into the league. They have full control of uh, what orgs get to get a spot in the LCS, blah, 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 blah. And then you have Dota, which is kind of like Shannon's at the Wild West. Where is CSGO? Where do you place that on that bar? Are they closer to League? Are they closer to Dota? Like, let's well, say just... League is 1 and Dota is 10. Where is CSGO? Uh, CSGO is, I'd say, like a 6 or 7, depending okay. on how you view the ESL Pro Tour, because that's ultimately mm -hmm. why I think that product will succeed, because teams are bought in. Um, and as the league grows in value, suddenly the slots in that league have value. Teams have an incentive to stay in the league and not be relegated, because if they're relegated, they lose the revenue sharing options. And it just makes sense. In addition, you can monetize things. Uh, so, so revenue share can be based on performance, but um, also KPI. So the more I do as a team and as a player to publicize this event and my brand, the more of a percentage my team is going to get from from the overall pie but that that's like that's where health comes from and and that's where players will start to recognize the power of their brand and why it's important for them to to be public because ultimately the more attention your league gets the bigger and bigger the pie gets and the bigger and bigger the slices are for each individual in dota i think things would be a little different because ultimately i think players especially if we were trying to get the blessing of valve players would have to have a direct line to the revenue from said league. And I don't know if that's even necessarily a problem. Um, but I think it would be required just because Valve has, uh, throughout history, just put so much emphasis on their relationship with players and what is best for the players, not what's best for TOs or teams. Okay, so... Okay, final question, I guess, about this. Which esport do you think does it best right now? I think without question, oh, League of Legends. Okay. So you prefer League over CS. So on a scale from 1 to 10, League is 1, Dota is 10, CS is 6. What's the optimal number for you in how to run esports right now? Oh, I thought you were more like a sliding scale, which is like totally hands-off and like totally franchise. I think that... Yeah, that's what um, I mean. So League is fully franchise and Dota is fully off franchise and CS is like the 6, like you said. What do you think is like the gold medium that games should strive to hit where you think there's the most value and in gaming right now and do you do you think there is such a number like is it game dependent can csgo not do what league is doing and vice versa for it example? could i mean it, it really just depends like the, the trouble is that esport and this is something i think a lot of people misunderstand um is that esport teams nfl teams like teams don't necessarily make money like the owner operator of an nfl franchise isn't necessarily making money where you make all your money is on exit because the product, like the league itself, has grown, has doubled, has tripled. And suddenly, you know, you, you bought, a, like, Jerry Jones, I think, bought the Cowboys for, like, a song. Like, it was, like, less than $100 million. It's now worth, like, over $4 billion, right? But he hasn't sold it. But that's the idea. That's where the value is. The trouble is that unless you're part of a product that is going to grow, there won't be any value. So you have to make money in the short term. League of Legends might run into an issue. Overwatch already kind of has, where people have recognized, holy shit, we spent like 10, 20 million dollars on this franchise spot, and we're only like we're we're barely making money. Like 
what no shocker like, this with game the is going to die. No yeah, I mean, realistically, um, if I like, this is the thing, and this is why I get a little pissed when people say like, oh, I'm selling out or whatever. I fucking love Dota, all right, and I I'm here because I love the game. I could totally go fuck off and do something else. I don't want to. I like this game. Ultimately, the future of, of culture and the internet, I think, is going to be much less about esports and way more about influencers and gaming. Consider how difficult it was to make it as a songwriter or, or an artist in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. Nowadays, you want to do something, the, you have, you own all of your own platforms. You're going to see more and more artists independently releasing music because ultimately there is no barrier to entry anymore. And it's so much easier to just work with one person who's popular on the internet can be relied upon and will work with you to like do brand activations etc than it is to try and convince a bunch of dirty teenagers who only play video games their entire lives i've had to teach numerous teammates to do laundry like god damn how can we trust these people to know what's best for themselves and their future and their careers they can't even fucking cook eggs and like they're the people we're trying to listen to those are the role models like jesus christ yeah, we, we've it's talked like, about it's... that before as well. That's definitely true. Definitely. So you you don't... Okay, I'm sorry to ask it one more time, but I feel like you didn't really answer it. From 1 to 10, is there a gold <laughs> number really... or not? It's it's fine. If, I mean, it's fine if it's a no, but I feel like it's pretty interesting to just get that perspective of, like, what do we think the industry should strive for, right, across games? Because some people... The reason I focus so much on this is that that's kind of the big discussion that a lot of people have in this is league is too hands-on we don't like how they're doing it we don't like how overwatch league has done it dota is so ideologically amazing the teams get to do whatever they want but then there's no like like you said the financial incentive isn't really yeah. there so is it just in the middle that's good you said league is most successful they're all the yeah. way on the one so I, what do I you like more dota, i think dota has like a lot like a lot. I think Dota's production and I think the way events are done is is better than most other esports. I really like the casual vibes. I like that it's not corporate and stiff and and planned, right? I think that that's part of why our community is so like tight knit because like this is our game, this is our family. Um, mm -hmm. That's how I feel about it at least. And all that I really think we need is is something that that people could buy into. What what matters? It really depends on your perspective. Um, a lot of people will say, well, it has to make money. Um, I think that that's the second thing. And I think what's most important is that you have a good story. And I think that as a casual fan of Dota 2, you are being neglected. I think if you love Pro Dota 2, I'm sorry. Because ultimately, I don't really see what is keeping you captivated on this on this journey because we've been told for years like all that matters is ti and now there isn't a ti and there isn't a dpc and there aren't majors there's just oh it's blast today oh it's dota pit oh cool it's the same teams for what what are the stakes here what are they playing for because ultimately we can't even trust that these teams are showing us their best because it's not ti why would they show us their best if it's not ti and i would like to engineer some sort of of product something Similar, and this is what I like about League, is that every region, every split finals, like they're playing for something. It means something. You're going to get to Worlds if you win this LAN. You're going you're gonna to have a chance to go prove you're the best. And it's this international competition, and it's just cool. And it means that in each region, something matters, and there's a storyline to follow. You can watch the player rise from Academy to Tier 2. What's his name? Caria. Uh, this kid was like an Academy player. Then he was a tier two player. Now he's starting. He was bench. Now he's starting for uh, for one of the best Korean teams 
in league. That's fucking cool. That's really cool. And I don't see this ever existing within Dota with the parameters and variables as they are. Because there's simply no way that even looking at myself, I would never have made it as an esports player had I not had the support of family members who let me live um, in, in like in a, for free at their house. You can't be a pro player and, and also wash dishes 30 hours a week. There's another guy that doesn't have to do that. How are you going to beat? How are this is something from Fly? Um, I think he got from his dad, who's a very famous Krav Maga uh, guy. While you sleep, your enemy trains. While you sleep, your enemy trains. So how, if I'm already behind, will I ever catch someone if I don't have their knowledge? I can't commit the same amount of time, and I don't have the ability to support myself. How am I ever going to beat Puppy? I'm not. That's esports. Well, Valve esports, at least. Um, I mean, we well, can go on and it's on not about... CSGO, right? Well, supposedly that's not the same. Yeah, going to so the scale. Going... So did you answer the question? You like one then, right? You actually he's, like one. He's, he's, he's very reluctant to give it. You don't have to. I, was, I, I just feel like... I don't know. Really that's the thing. A number, I, right. don't, I don't know well, is also an answer. It is. I, but... look, if I had my goal, I would say that what Dota is built around is East versus West. I think that nothing is more hype than LGD versus, versus OG, right? Like Secret versus Vici at a LAN. And obviously lands are tough in the time of coronavirus, but I think that what's really necessary is that there is some way to foster more international competition and some way to ensure that teams and players like reap the benefits of both their performance throughout the year and from how seriously they take content. And ultimately that means having ownership in, in the overall product. I think even if it's something as simple as like the DPC, I would love it if the DPC suddenly just became something that you would buy into. DPC points were given out based on the prestige of the event, the prize pool, etc. Incentivize TOs to make bigger events with more money, with more teams, and thus teams are more incentivized because there's more points to go to TI if you win them. Like at least make these rock concerts that we're throwing part of a festival tour. Make it a tour. Let one TO operate it. I don't know. Let all of them operate. Who cares? Just give something so that these individual events mean something, so that there's some ranking that matters. Who fucking cares about ESL Dota 2 rankings, Ghost 2 Gamers rankings, Join Dota rankings? What does it even matter? Hmm. It means nothing. I think the one, obviously Corona has been awful in pretty much every regard. The one benefit that we could get from it, the, the ramifications, if you will, or the aftermath, is people finally realizing that the Dota scene is not healthy right now. I mean, you talk about how we've gone from TI 1.6 million now to 40 million. Things have changed quite a bit, but it's still this top-heavy atmosphere, right? And with a combination of the player base going down over time, which, you know, that's a whole other discussion in itself, and Corona has kind of exposed how flawed yeah. the system is currently. So hopefully, I mean, obviously Valve put out a, you know, another kind of vague post talking about how they're going to give some money to some tournament organizers, which we've already seen that come to fruition. But will we see it's, more? It's not a solution is the trouble. Like, it's a band-aid I, for now. I don't, for sure. I don't want to be fed. I don't want the scene fed fish. I want us to be able to fish. And right now, <laughs> Valve own all the boats and all the rods. And they've got all the fish. I don't want fish from the boat. I want to have my own boat. The Dota boat that everybody in Dota can get on. And we can go Banana fish. Boat. And we can, we can sell those fish. And we can buy a bigger boat. 
and we get more fish. That's what I want. Great analogy. Okay, so let's. That is actually let's... a pretty good analogy. It is. Let's finish off with uh, with trivia. You, by the way, before we get to the, you guys, for the first time ever of a guest episode, I made Cinderin and our guests, which is Kyle, obviously, make their own trivia. These are the worst fucking trivia questions of all time. But let's begin. Well, then Cinderin. why didn't you make your own instead then? Because it's too. Because I've done it too many times, oh. and I've ran out of questions for you specifically, Cinderin. But yeah, Cinderin. that's what I figured. So I came up with something you would you didn't know. Thank you, Cinderin. You're welcome. This one was already answered in the fucking the episode. Which of your former teammates was also a teammate of Kyle? Really? Hesitation. Okay. Wait, what? Wow. Which of your former teammates was also a former teammate of Kyle? I thought this would be super easy. I think there's actually two. Okay, if wrong. there's more than one, I don't know the second one. What the hell? Really? Who has Kyle played with? So you've mentioned this player in the podcast. Yeah, he mentioned Yes, I have. Too. All right, I take everything I said back, Kyle. This is a great question. The big fan of the Bitburger. Oh yeah, of course. I mean, you don't need to give me hints. Yeah. Oh, I was I was thinking in Dota. That's why I wouldn't wasn't connecting it because mm. you've never played with him in Dota. It's Kezu. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Indeed. Is yeah, there a second one? Do you ever play with cancel? From Han. Do you ever play with cancel? Uh, yeah, I did. I did. Cancel okay. too then. Not for very long, but okay. Yeah. Kezu, I've played with for a longer period. That's true. All right. But so you've Kyle. never played with Kezu and Dota, correct? Correct. Only in Han. Yeah. Okay. Right, this is just going to be the epitome. I, this is the exact. This is the perfect example of how good of a question Cinder could come up with. Kyle, <laughs> what's Cinderin's favorite color? <laughs> so is brown your answer? Is that, is that yes. what you're going? It is in fact purple. Close though. It was not close. a bad guess. <laughs> uh, Cinderin, Kyle's highest placing. Uh, what was his highest placing at a Valve or Valve Major slash DPC event? Fifth, sixth. Correct. Okay. Very good. What okay. about at a non-Valve major? You lost to... Who was it you lost to? Was it EG? Yes. Yeah, okay. And it was the Crowder. Frankfurt major? No, Shanghai. I still okay. remember that. I got trapped. That was one of my worst drafts. We had like Warlock and Enigma, and they trapped us, and they just went like Venge Drow 3-4. We got dumpstered. We had Ember Spirit third, and then they went Drow. We're like, ah, shit. One of those, <laughs> one of those games. Anyway, right. Kyle, what is Cinderin's favorite hero to play in Dota right now? I can give you a uh, hint. Give me a hint. Its favorite Snapfire. color has something to do with it. Enigma. That's actually has nothing to do with that, but it's true. Void they spirit, overlap. Enigma, Void Spirit. Very good. Good job. All right, wow, last two. Cool. Cinderin. Kyle knows me so well. This one I don't even have an answer to, but uh, what's Kyle's favorite place he's ever lived? How is that a better question than mine? Yours are far worse. The Kezu one far already just made that. it better. I feel like it's yeah. kind of the same. I'm not saying my questions are good. I'm just saying they're kind of on uh, par with the that. The Kezu one was the best, and that's carried Kyle yeah. already. So it's all good. Okay. Favorite place he's ever lived? Yes. Shit, he might have told me this. Has he lived I, in Singapore? I don't even know if he knows well, well, the well, answer well. to this himself. You it's somewhere this. in SEA. I'm almost certain. I'm almost certain it's somewhere in SEA. Uh, All right, pick a country. I'm going to go with Singapore. 
It's up there. I don't really know, to be honest. Still haven't really chosen. I'd say that if you're How a... is this a good question? <laughs> it's Come not. It's I terrible. couldn't think of anything. <laughs> I don't like to ask myself questions. I like other people do it. Um, All right. I, Kyle, think that... I have a question. I have a fourth question afterwards, Shannon. Okay. Kyle. Kyle, go ahead. Uh, best, best places are, I think, Taiwan. Uh, Taipei, Taiwan is incredible. Singapore is amazing. Um, I love London, but I don't think I'd live there, but it is a great city to be in. Big fan of Kiev. That's why I'm here. Um, I think Vancouver is also incredible, and those would probably be my my top five. Amsterdam mm-hmm. used to be up there, but it's just goddamn Airbnb and tourists, man. Ugh, it's not the same anymore. Yeah, fuck tourists, right? All right, I have a multiple choice question for Kyle that Cinderin came up with. Ugh. Which of the following has Cinderin not studied in university? Computer science, English, history. Media studies. Depends. Cinderin, if I said who's Hannibal, right? What would I'm you? Not gonna, I'm, I'm not gonna help you. you. <laughs> I'm gonna go with history, Very even though good. I think he's. Yeah. yeah. Damn! Look at you. See the value in history. All the other ones have benefits to him. History, he's like, ah, <laughs> what do those dead people have to he offer knows me? Knows me so well. All right, Cinder, you had your you had your question. Yeah. What is it? I have a final question, Kyle. Where do I see myself in 10 years? Dead. <laughs> I don't know. That's a good it's one. Okay, Kyle. Would... It's okay, It's like, no, no, it's I, like don't, I, don't... Question. I don't know either. I don't know the answer. So. Okay. I would, I would say like living wow. in a little cottage somewhere. To be fair, does anyone really know where they're going? I think that that's uh, humans have a really hard time like understanding the future, man. I'm, t- I'm a little afraid, I'll be honest. Um, you know, nobody nobody thought about a pandemic, right? And now all of a sudden, it's rapidly changed our lives. And I think that um, uh, climate change is going to do something similar as we get older. It'll certainly impact our children's generation. And I don't mean like uh, I think the "woe is me, the world will end" isn't necessarily the right viewpoint, but more extreme weather events, uh, more resource scarcity, forced migration, and um, ultimately, when resources are scarce, I, I, we haven't had a major war in our lifetime. Um, this wasn't really what I was going for with my question, by the way. I was making a joke. It, the long, oh. the, the long-winded answer is we're all, all right. going to die, Cinderin. Thank you for bringing that to our attention. Correct. Probably, really appreciate hopefully it. Hopefully not in ten years, though. Uh, so that brings this episode to an end. Kyle, what? First of all, thank you for coming on. What? Where can people find you? What do you have planned? Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Um, oof, that's tough. Um, well, I'm, I'm, fuck. I, I'm still figuring it out, man. Um, I think I better understand. Uh, something I've I've thought about a lot is the idea that you should not think about like what you want to do with your life, but like my whole my whole mantra is you don't have to do something with your life, just do something with your day. That doesn't mean um, like you know joie de vivre, like fuck around, get drunk every day. It means that you don't need to think necessarily about where you'll be in five years. Just try to make yourself better today. Like do stuff today. Take action. Um, okay, where can people follow you today? <laughs> at keeping it Kyle on effectively everything. Okay. Um, yeah. I used to know what act, like actions, not words in Latin, and I would say that, and I'd sound really smart, but I forgot because I'm not actually All right, that smart. Last question, and it's Stop. a yes or no question. Kyle, we'll start with you. Have you seen the movie In Bruges? Yes. Did you like it? Uh, Cinderin, 
Have you? I seen can't it tell Bruges? if he has seen it, and he's just trying to, you know. I've seen it. He shoots okay. the midget. Don't spoil that shit. Cinderin still needs to watch it. <laughs> See, now he's intrigued. <laughs> I'm never going to watch it. Dude, Kyle just spoiled the movie. Why would I watch yeah, it? I true. wanted to watch it so bad, and now it's just <laughs> ruined. All right. Well, anyway. I, I haven't watched it. Thank you, Cinderin. Thank you, Kyle, for coming on. Appreciate it. Thank you, everybody, for watching and listening. Have a great day. We'll see you next week. We thanks, guys. things that don't mean anything, but thanks for listening. Yeah.